five minutes after 6 a.m. Good morning, everybody. My name is Nachum Siegel. Welcome to a Wednesday. This is your Jewish Moments in the Morning radio program. And today, our third day of our Atlanta adventure, uh, brings us to the uh, Beth Jacob Synagogue, the historic Beth Jacob Synagogue here in Atlanta, which is um, really from where the entire Orthodox community of Atlanta grew from over uh, the last many, many decades. And today we'll have a chance to meet Rabbi Feldman, the spiritual leader of Congregation Beth Jacob here in Atlanta, and many special guests as we continue this adventure that is brought to you by the American Committee for Shariatetic Medical Center in Jerusalem, by the Orthodox Union, with tremendous help from Naftali Herman and uh, Alan Fagan and company, uh, all of whom uh, understand the value of not just hitting the road and spreading the word about great Jewish communities, but going to specific areas of the country and talking about the growth that is being felt in so many congregations and so many different communities around the country. And we've met over the last couple of days representatives from many great communities, including, of course, here in Atlanta. And today we'll do the same. We'll speak to people from Atlanta, plus we have uh, individuals who are going to be joining us from other southeastern Jewish communities that will make this yet another great day of our uh, on-the-road programs that we're doing from Atlanta. Why Atlanta, you ask? Well, the whole country is focused on Atlanta, Georgia. The entire country, especially the sports world, has converged on this city. It's the capital of the NFL for this week. It's the place that was chosen for the 2019 Super Bowl, and that game's going to take place this coming Sunday. While the rest of the country, and really the world, and I'm sure that media day yesterday proved that the world was paying attention, in addition to the country and the world, uh, or while I should say the country and the world are paying careful attention to the uh, football game, we've decided that we're going to do what we do best, and that is come to the same area, come to the same city, but concentrate on Jewish life in that city and its surrounding cities. Hence, our amazing journey here to Atlanta this week, uh, which continues today and tomorrow, and uh, will be looked upon as uh, a really successful and wonderful week, thank God, as we uh, discuss the Jewish communities of the Southeast United States. Miriam L. Wallach is here, of course, as we um, kick off day number three here in Atlanta, Georgia. We did have, I should note before Miriam says good morning, I should note that we did have an amazing day yesterday recording the Kosher Halftime Show. I don't want anyone to think that we've ignored the responsibility of putting together a fun Kosher Halftime Show for this year while we're down here. Uh, That was another one of our uh, purposes of being in Atlanta, to make the Kosher Halftime Show Atlanta-centric. And Mayor Kay certainly helped us, as director of the Kosher Halftime Show again for this year, helped us make it Atlanta-centric. And uh, when when you watch the Kosher Halftime Show and you see places like the Spicy Peach and the NFL Experience and downtown Atlanta, uh, part of this whole, um, uh, of this whole presentation, uh, you'll understand that uh, this was a great backdrop. This city was a great backdrop for Kosher Halftime Show 2019. And we say good morning, Miriam L. Wallach. Good morning, Nahum. Did I'm not sure Atlanta's going to be the same. <laughs> I'm not sure we left it. Excuse me. I'm not sure we left it the same way we found it. Well, one of the things we were just <laughs> discussing off the air is that some of our uh, some of our amazing Jewish communities around the country uh, are really suffering in terms of weather. Thank God we are not suffering here. There was a rumor 
that we'd have a <laughs> real snow day yesterday. Uh, it turned out to be... An Atlanta snow day, it seems. <laughs> yeah. Atlanta snow day with emphasis on the N-O of snow. Uh, there was no snow. and um, I did take a video, by the way, of a landscaper outside of the spicy peaches responsible for the grounds there, salting uh, and sanding the concrete. And uh, the sun is shining, and you really can't appreciate just how mild the weather was from the video. But all he kept on saying to me was, it's going to get cold. It's going to get cold. I'm like, I, I'm, I'm listening to you. I hear what you're saying. I'm not really believing it right now. So our plans were altered for that reason uh, yesterday because of the weather. And now um, many, many communities around the country are suffering with these extreme conditions and really terrible temperatures uh, that have headed below zero. Uh, but here, thank God, you know, for what we would consider as New Yorkers pretty normal here a little bit on the cold side, but thank God a good-looking and good-feeling Wednesday morning. Now, um, have you seen the promo video for the Kosher Halftime Show? Oh, I've seen it. I somehow have you seen it more than once? I crack up every time I watch it, and the whole thing is what? Is it 10 seconds, 13 seconds? I don't know how long it is or how short it is for that matter, but it's a panic. Now, this was at – what was the difference? The one, the indoor one we were at was the NFL Experience. What was this one called? NFL Live or something? I think it was NFL Live. So NFL Live had this booth – in addition to so many other fun things that they had there. The NFL's a hoot. Yeah, boy. They oh, know, yeah. They, are, they know they, what they're doing. They do know what they're doing. Um, so they had we this, hope we didn't upset them. They had this booth where, where you, as an individual or a group, can act like you're the ones who are heading through the tunnel onto the field right. of the Super Bowl or any NFL game. And we did that, meaning myself and Sammy Kay, who's a local Atlanta um, member of the Orthodox community rapper, uh, who everyone's going to meet through this kosher halftime show, and Daniela Javier with his capota and his fiddle, mm. and of course Mayor Kay, you can't leave him out with his uh, New England Patriots jersey. So the four is of is that us, his defining figure? Is that his defining for, feature? I mean, for this week it is. Okay, <laughs> this week it is. I don't know. He seems to be in good company in Atlanta with all that Brady jersey. I don't even get me started on that topic. I don't know. Getting you started about this topic is always fun. <laughs> it's I would good radio. I would think the city couldn't stand the man, but apparently, apparently, I was wrong. He brings a good show. So, um, yeah, I don't mean Mary Kay. I know. <laughs> I, meant, I meant Brady also, but that's fine. So, um, it, between that and his New England Patriots onesie, mm-hmm. you'll be able to recognize Mayor Kay. In that shot, in the one that we're talking about, the promo video, he has his uh, Brady uniform on, his jersey on. And uh, we went ahead and, uh, and, you know, had some fun heading out of the tunnel onto the field. Now, this video is available. Everywhere. Everywhere. Facebook, people would find it, right? Where videos are sold. Go, go, <laughs> go to Facebook.com slash Nahum Siegel Network. Mm-hmm. It's up there. It's In- also on my page. Instagram. Yeah. Yours, mine, anywhere we could have found, anywhere we could find the platform to put Correct. this thing. I'm sure there. Sammy posted it also. I hope so. Did he? Yes. Oh, he took a picture oh, he of t- it? Okay. Oh, that's funny. Okay, good. I'm happy he's having fun with it. It seems he and many others... Do we ever give him back his bag? Yeah. It okay. seems <laughs> he and many others uh, have really embraced this unique partnership of Sammy K, the rapper, and Daniela Javiel, the Hasidic uh, violinist from Israel. So, A very interesting combination that people will see on Sunday. Absolutely. And at one point on Monday when we were in the park and there's all this filming going on and whatever, and I'm standing there with a member of Sammy's team, and I, you see Mayor you know, um, putting the two gentlemen next to each other and, and positioning them correctly and whatever, and I look at this guy from, um, I think it was Ben. I look at Ben from Sammy's team. I'm like, 
it's good shtick. And he looks at me and goes, oh, it's great. He said, it's just, it's great. And they, they totally got it. I mean, they It's totally funny how sometimes we don't get it. But, right, uh, because we're old. And <laughs> I think that that's, I'm serious, I think that that's part of it. Yoni's like, right, you you are old in this case. Um, but it's, you know, it's funny. There, the, the first time that uh, that a number of people were introduced to Sammy K was through his YU interview. The, right. the, um, the commentator, the YU student newspaper, the commentator had interviewed him while he was still a student at YU and, uh, wor- you know, working on his career, etc. And he's clearly... Um, you know, full force behind his commitment to going into rap, etc., or you know, pro, you know, pro, propelling his career forward and and uh, quote unquote going pro. And he's got a whole team. He's got a record label. He's got the whole thing. Um, he went to Mivasarit for two years. He is a YU grad. I mean, you know, it's it's all like. It, it, you you see this amalgam of uh, of four men in this video, and there's one major connection to all four of them, even though they look f- completely distinctively different. And it's that, you know, they're all members of the Orthodox community and it's, and it's great. There's that diversity so and pe- it's great. People will see that and notice that during Sunday's It's pretty noticeable. Show. It's pretty noticeable. And the difference in the, uh, in the gap in the generation uh, or the generational gap that we're feeling here on this team, yes. I think can be profoundly uh, um, um, seen by what Yoni Pala considers the funniest part of the Kosher Halftime Show. I think that's, I think it's generational, maybe not. Okay. Maybe others, in, you know, of all ages will think that's the funniest part. But uh, you have to, and we're, not, and we're certainly not going to reveal any of this no, now. No, no, no. But you know what I'm referring to when, when I speak about what he considers to be the funniest part of the Kosher Halftime I mean, halftime I think show. I do. Yeah. Yeah. But I will tell you that the highlight, you know, yesterday was a very long day. Not like Monday wasn't a long day. Monday was longer. Monday was a long week. Yesterday was a long day. Correct. Well put. And I think that one of the reasons that yesterday was just a long day and not a long week is because I was able to sit in the same place for seven hours hmm. and get work done, which is great. We weren't walking around. We were in the spicy peach. And Lord knows that Jody took unbelievable care of us yesterday. Lydia, everybody's, you know, just, just helping out and great and so gracious. <coughs> <coughs> Excuse me, but I think the highlight of my day yesterday is when we got to the spicy peach. And Jody brings out all the packages that had arrived right. in advance of our coming, and uh, Mayor Kay's package titled like undies.com right. is on the counter. And you look at me and you're like, "What in the world is?" I mean, "What is that package?" And it was his onesie, mm-hmm. and um, and that was that was a good moment. I have to be honest. That was a good moment. You were equally horrified that there was a package that had that print on it on Jody's counter. I don't know if it was that or that a package from that website had arrived with anything that could be related to us. And then the horror continued when he opened the package. And there was it, yes. And New England Patriots onesie. So. But we did provide great snow day entertainment for plenty of kids in the neighborhood. Um, all of whom showed up, and a whole group of kids who, as they said, were ready to sing every Mayor K song out <laughs> there. And I'm saying to myself, Mayor K songs? Mayor K doesn't have songs. <laughs> but that's okay, guys. That's okay. They, they think Macha Brachas is a Yes, it's a Mayor K song, and that's fine. That's great. Um, but uh, but it was, but you know, great Mayor K vibes, and he's always so generous and so warm with anybody who wants to take a picture and you know it was it was a great day yesterday and how many people come up to us that they know people that we know from new york and oh. there there's so many atlantic connections to people that we know from you know from past present and uh, just from 
from the New York, New Jersey area. It's right. really interesting to to go through all that. You know, as much as we like playing Jewish geography down here, you could really win at that game. Oh, it's it's unbelievable. It's absolutely unbelievable. All roads lead to Atlanta. Yeah, that's I, what it I'm, seems. Right. I'm, I was been making jokes about it, but now it's just it's serious. All yeah. roads lead to Atlanta. And the NFL road led to Atlanta for this week because there's a big sure game did. on Sunday, which you probably know about. And our Kosher Halftime Show is going to be brought to you by the Rothenberg Law Firm, mm-hmm. plus so many of our wonderful commercial sponsors that we will begin to uh, enumerate as the week goes on and obviously thank them all through next week because, hey, the Kosher Halftime Show, which is becoming available on Sunday night, will be up there forever for people to enjoy and watch. And I think they will... But we just hope we don't need the services of the Rothenberg Law Firm by the time this program is over. Let's hope. But yeah, it's, Let's hope. that's that's a different kind of shtick we weren't planning for. But please God, everything will be fine. It, you know, one of the just to, you know for for those who are listening at six seventeen in the morning on Wednesday, one of the things that that I think you're right. Yeah, I need something for my back. Okay, well now everybody knows. <laughs> um, one of the things that have I, you noticed that these chairs are are on the backs are on an angle. Like they, they no, because I'm sitting forward, but the mics are on. Yeah, I know. Okay. Anyway, you asked. Them all right. Them. I okay. Okay. It's all good. It's all good. Um, you with me? Yeah. All right. So I think that back to my thought that I was I've been working on. Anybody who's listening since six at at now six eighteen this morning, um, might be might be entertained just to appreciate how Mayor K. And Shimmy Sokol can actually talk their way into any oh, situation. Um, every time you think that there's no way they're going to get past X, Y, or Z. Or that their cameras won't. Or that their cameras, <clears throat> or that whatever they're bringing, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. All of a sudden, there they are. They have gotten past another roadblock, another security guy, another this, another that. And I had said to you, or I had said to Yoni, Maybe I even said to Stephen, I don't even know who I'm talking to this week. But I had said, I'm like, you know, it's not, it's not like when we're in Israel or we're somewhere else where you're with a bunch of, you know, a bunch of Jews and you want to talk your way into something and I'm Mayor K and, you know, come on, let's do this and whatever. And, and somebody goes along with you. Like, it's the NFL. But yet here we are on the upside of, of all of this filming that has taken place and all of the shtick that he was able to pull, that they were able to pull. I mean, I don't want to not give Shimmy credit in this dynamic duo. Well, he doesn't back down as much as Mary Kay doesn't back down. Right? It's unbelievable. They're just like, they're completely I saw, fearless. I saw them fail once. Really? Yeah, which we'll reveal when we do some behind-the-scenes oh, stuff later in the week. Oh, interesting. But I did see them fail once, but, you know, even Babe Ruth you know, didn't bat a 1,000. Oh, that's right, but, at one point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But at one point they failed, but uh, it was just, it was amazing watching them and their stick and their ingenuity. Right. And uh, look, that's the reason that they're back for this year, because we saw what they did last year for us when we broadcasted, or I should say we uh, filmed our Kosher Halftime mm-hmm. Show in Israel. All right, uh, more coming up. We're at the Beth Jacobs Synagogue here in uh, Atlanta, Georgia. Morning services will begin soon uh, here in the synagogue, and we will speak to Ari Feldman, of course, later on, who will welcome us to this historic location. Rabbi Oppenheim is going to join us from Charlotte this hour. Rabbi Davies is going to join us from Charleston this hour. We have plenty coming up as the American Committee for Shared Tzedek Medical Center in Jerusalem and the Orthodox Union present this amazing adventure in Atlanta, Georgia, and we focus on the southeastern portion of the United States. We have some great communities to be very proud of. Baruch Levine is next at JM in the AM.
Babayis, Babayis Hazeh Hu yashkin b'neichem Hu yashkin b'neichem Ahavot yachavot V'shaloim b'reus Mihi sheshikein The Shalom
JM in the AM with Yummy Lowy. That is a good song off the album entitled Kol Hatov. That is Lovado here at JM in the AM. We're at the Beth Jacob Congregation, the synagogue here in Atlanta, Georgia. It's, it's day number three of our amazing adventure, our incredible journey to Atlanta as we focus on the uh, communities of the southeast United States, Atlanta being, of course, a capital of this region when it comes to Jewish life. The whole world is focused on Atlanta because of the Super Bowl. We're focused on Atlanta because of the Southeast Jewish communities and sponsored by the American Committee for Shari Tzedek Medical Center in Jerusalem and our friends at the Orthodox Union. And speaking of uh, the southeastern portion of the United States, our good friend Rabbi Hanoch Oppenheim is with us live via telephone. Rabbi Oppenheim is the spiritual leader at the Charlotte Torah Center in Charlotte, North Carolina, and he joins us on this Wednesday morning broadcast. Rabbi Oppenheim, welcome back to JM in the AM. Good morning, Nachum. Pleasure to be here. Thanks so much for having me. I appreciate you joining us. A lot of people don't realize that there's great Jewish life in a lot of areas of the southeastern United States, including where you are in Charlotte. Um, tell us a little bit about the community, about the, uh, about the uh, experience that you've had down there with your wife and family over all these years. Tell us a little bit about Charlotte. Wonderful. Nakam, it's a it's a vibrant city. Uh, I believe the second most moved to city in uh, America. About eighty four people moving here a day, wow. and the Jewish community also uh, growing. Also, and our personal community is also growing. We have a minion daily. We uh, <clears throat> and and on Shabbos, and we really and have a series of classes from uh, very deep classes like Chavos Levavos and, and Rambam and other things to very introductory classes. And uh, our community is very, very much uh, family-based, meaning uh, we all feel like one family due to the fact that we're so, we're so small. Uh, we have transplants from other places. Some people in our community, interestingly enough, are former students of ours from some of the university work uh, we do. We uh, do outreach work at various universities, and uh, some students uh, are, are part of our community as a result of, of that, too, including as far-reaching as Chapel Hill. Uh, we have a lot of visitors coming to, uh, to Charlotte, driving. We are the midpoint between uh, Florida and New York, so a lot of people <laughs> traveling through, including sometimes even for sporting events, like a well-known... Jewish uh, radio personality who came and spent an entire Shabbos at our house, and it was such a wonderful experience. He came and then later brought his family down here. And we really, um, it, it's really been a great experience. And um, for, for us, as uh, my wife and I and our own personal family have grown so much from being here, we, we lived in Israel for 20 years and, and, uh, and other places. But this place is a place you really feel uh, we've kind of flowered and... Uh, are just embracing this community and, and all the wonderful people who are in it and all the people who travel through and um, we're able to host. Well, you, Sometimes, yes. You're, you're, you're spot on when it comes to describing what the Charlotte Jewish community is all about. Uh, it has a, a charm to it that's really wonderful. Um, it does not have, and you're the first to remind people, it doesn't have some of the amenities that you might find in some of the larger Jewish communities, uh, but it has an extremely uh, friendly, warm atmosphere. It does have a daily minion, which is a major accomplishment for your community, and it shouldn't be overlooked. People shouldn't think, like, you know, what's the big deal? There's, you know, daily minion all around the country. It was a major accomplishment what you and your synagogue have done. And, um, and, and because the... Uh, 
the community is the way it is and is the size that it is right now, I think we should emphasize that as we recruit all through this week and remind people about different communities they may, may want to move to, if there are couples out there, if there are young people out there that want a really wonderful challenge and a beautiful, warm environment, what I would call a key roof challenge, to come and join you and your wife and others who are you know, spreading the word and really building a community, if you want to be a pioneer at this point, Charlotte would be an amazing address to check out. And uh, I, I, I'm sorry, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, no I, I, would just, I would just add to that. Because this has been the response of some of the people who have been here, and even some of the passers-by, that in in the larger cities, which is fine, they just feel like you know one of many. But you come down here, and all of a sudden, um, you're actually a bit of a role model. You can be. Uh, people are coming to, and wanting to learn, wanting to get together. And although you think you might not know that much. You're, you probably have a lot more knowledge than a lot of other people who have not had your yeshiva opportunity in whatever level you think you're at. And this has been a profound experience. There's a couple who's about to move here, uh, actually fr- from New York, for this, for this similar reason. They just kind of wanted to get out and have a, a new start with a career. We help find people jobs, if, if that's the case. Uh, but there's a we have a, as you've met many many of our people, uh, they're, uh, they're, they're, we have entrepreneurs, we have people in other businesses that are really just people have moved to Charlotte uh, for the opportunity and and um, and we're happy to facilitate that. And uh, as I say, it's an interesting Jewish community because we're probably the only major southern city that doesn't have a history meaning of like a hundred years or something of an old orthodox community so really everything has been created from scratch because uh, charlotte is now considered the capital of the new south it's the, the headquarters of, of bank of america and many other corporations and and um so people are moving here for that and also and for the warmth of the community. So there are a lot of opportunities here. And and there is a day school also. And um, so there, there really there are opportunities here. And Rabbi Oppenheim, as, uh, as uh, funny as it is, um, even though you might be missing one or two of the amenities of some of the major cities that they might have, you do have a kosher restaurant in Charlotte. Right, right. So we have this kosher catering, actually. And um, there's a there's a there's Gleberman's is the whole kosher store, and uh, I know it's it's hard it's hard to believe you can come <laughs> here and get kosher food and all that. And uh, just welcome to any of your listeners. If ever anybody gets stuck, you will not be the first nor the last. It happens many times. We host people uh, for Shabbos uh, that due to a storm or whatever get stuck at the airport or just are planning a trip through Charlotte. And uh, and and want to come. So and I do open that petition too. And I do remind everybody because there are some sports fans in this audience. And on the seventeenth of February, the NBA All Star Game is taking place in Charlotte, and you're going to be hosting people who want to be down there for Shabbos and enjoy a beautiful weekend and really help make an impact uh, during, I guess, what we can call the All Star Shabbaton. So if anybody out there wants information, they can contact Rabbi Oppenheim and his family, and he will figure out a way to make sure you're accommodated that Shabbos. Am I right, Rabbi? I definitely right now. I want to add also my wife, who is my partner in all this, runs an amazing organization called uh, Wow Women of Wisdom, and uh, they embrace women from all backgrounds. And this is like a, a, a unique like women's organization that has been a 
driving force in, in a lot of women's lives and for the Torah center. You know, I'll say, you know, the merit of the righteous women, so much of the growth of the Torah, the Charlotte Torah Center has come through as a result of the women and strengthening their own families and, and their commitment to larger community. So that's, a, again, a very big aspect. I would say women's leadership down here also is, a, is quite a beautiful thing to see. Well, Mrs. Oppenheim gets a lot of credit for the leadership that uh, you and her have um, have brought to the city of Charlotte. Rabbi Oppenheim is ready to welcome anybody who's a visitor, anybody who wants to consider permanent residency in a unique key of opportunity down in Charlotte, North Carolina. Um, you could be in touch with us. We are more than happy to serve as a connection to the Oppenheim family down in Charlotte. And a word about the OU, Rabbi Oppenheim. I know that they're always helpful to you when you uh, uh, when you want to build a program or do something unique down there in the community. Yes, absolutely. The, the OU has really reached out to us uh, a, a while back, and um, we, we are an OU, we're an OU synagogue, and we, um, I participate, I, especially in the rabbinic conferences, I find it very interesting when all of us get together, uh, and uh, they're just, through that and through also uh, Naftali Herman as has been instrumental in just really trying to help us out. Rabbi Stephen Weil has come here, uh, spoke publicly for, for the, not only our community, for the larger Jewish community, has met with Federation. So the, the OU is, uh, is involved. Moshe Bain is happy to come here whenever, uh, whenever we ask him to come. And so um, it's, it's really the OU has, uh, it's just a pleasure to, to, be, to be part of them. And, and just to realize that they're really just here for no reason other than to help. You know, they're not getting huge resources, huge <laughs> advertisement, anything. They're, they're just, a, uh, I would say, a L'Shem Shemaim organization who's really here to help uh, communities, both large and especially small communities. And Fully, I, I'm very we, grateful to them. We fully agree with you. Rabbi Oppenheim, our best regards to everybody in Charlotte. Thanks so much for joining us this morning. Thanks so much. Thanks, Nachman. Thanks for having me here. Rabbi Hanoch Oppenheim, he and his wife, Sarah, an amazing job in... Uh, in Charlotte, North Carolina, anybody out there who wants information can be in touch with us or can um, uh, certainly make contact with the Charlotte Torah Center down in Charlotte, North Carolina. More coming up. You're listening to a Wednesday morning broadcast from Beth Jacob Congregation here in Atlanta, Georgia. It's JM in the AM.
J.M. in the A.M. with Aryeh Kunzler. That's Az Yashir on a Wednesday morning broadcast. We're at the historic Beth Jacob Congregation, the synagogue here in Atlanta, Georgia, as we are focused, courtesy of the American Committee for Shari Tzedek Medical Center in Jerusalem and the Orthodox Union on Jewish communities of the Southeast United States. And with us live via telephone is Rabbi Michael Davies, Congregation Dor Tikva in Charleston, South Carolina. Rabbi Davies became the uh, synagogue's first rabbi. He grew up in New Jersey, spent two years after uh, spent three years studying in Israel after high school, and then went to a Yeshiva University in Reitz. Um, was in Ramaz, was in Englewood, New Jersey, Riverdale Jewish Center in the Bronx, and uh, prior to coming to Charleston, spent five years as the associate rabbi at the Beth Jacob Congregation in Oakland, California which means he probably is very familiar with our friends Hani and Akiva Neiman. Rabbi Davies, welcome to JM in the AM. Thank you so much, Nathan. Very good friends with the Neimans. They're fantastic people. <laughs> they certainly are, and I appreciate the uh, shout-out to them. Joining us in studio, Rabbi Davies, help me welcome Jason Daniels, who's here in Atlanta, Georgia. Good morning, Jason. Good morning. You, you're familiar with this gentleman, right, right, right Rabbi Davies? Very familiar, Give me an overview of the Charleston Jewish community. What can you tell us about what's doing down there in South Carolina? Where do we so start? Okay, the rabbi's going to start. Yeah, the Go rabbi ahead. will start. You're on. <laughs> Go ahead, rabbi. The Charleston Jewish community is a historic Jewish community. It's been around for quite a long time, a few hundred years, and um, 
we are uh, really at a point uh, where we're ready. I think someone just mentioned it to me as we're ready to take a parabolic curve uh, upwards, uh, really primed for growth. A lot of very positive uh, pieces coming together right now in the community, and uh, it's a very exciting time. Um, there are uh, two Orthodox shuls here in Charleston, one in the downtown area, and uh, our shul in the suburbs of West Ashley. And uh, we actually just uh, recently finished a, a beautiful renovation on our space. Uh, we took over the uh, former uh, J.C. Cedars Community Center building, and uh, now it looks like a beautiful, really, really beautiful shul. It's very exciting. When you got there from California, uh, what were your goals, and were you able to realize some of them already at this point? You know, I was very excited to come here to Charleston, and specifically to Bartikva, um, to be able to start on a new venture, uh, kind of a startup of sorts in a historic Jewish community, uh, was really something that I looked forward to and uh, was very excited about. Um, You know, in terms of the startup to really... uh, make our footprint, make our impression in the community, and, uh, and, and start to uh, draw people in was uh, the original goal, and I think we've definitely succeeded in that. Um, we've, uh, since that point in time, starting the shul, have uh, created a, a cemetery for the, for the shul, a very important element of Jewish community, of course, yep. and uh, now with our renovation just uh, recently finished, uh, we're really just uh, on our way up. Uh, Rabbi Michael Davies is with us from Charleston in studio here in our mobile studio at the Beth Jacobs Synagogue here in Atlanta, Georgia, is uh, Jason Daniels. Jason, uh, how long ago did you come to Atlanta from Charleston? Uh, That's a great question. Uh, Three and a half years ago, roughly, it's been. It's been, uh, you know, we're still transitioning. Right. You know, everything after Charleston is a transition. And you know, I, and uh, now you're part of uh, a city that's considered a capital of the Jewish South. Yes. Right? Both in its size and in its scope and in its services and amenities. How do you compare it to the days that you remember in Charleston? It's a different, uh, it's apples and oranges. You know, you, it's, it's hard to compare. You know, obviously you're moving to a place that has, you know, uh, Restaurants and all these different things that make obviously Jewish life uh, a little bit easier. Well, what does Charleston have that major Jewish oh, communities doesn't or don't have? That's the question right there. <laughs> uh, you, you know, being be, first off, the people. You know, the, the people, the people of Charleston, uh, being that Rabbi Davies mentioned, it's a historical Jewish community. Um, but there's there's just there's just something about it, you know. They they everyone that we know in Charleston, that we're, you know, we're not the uh, we're not we're not the biggest community out there, and um, you know we we don't have a lot, so to speak, in terms of numbers, whatever it is, you know, what I'm saying in terms of amenities. But there's a uh, there's a ruach there. There's a there's a there's just there's just as as a contentment of being there. There's an energy there. A great spirit, uh, huh? A great a great spirit. They call Charleston the holy city. Actually, it's uh, I actually think it's a similar latitude to Yerushalayim. I think I once heard that some 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 connection there. I don't know what it is, but um, check that out, Yodi. <laughs> yeah, that's for sure. I think maybe Rabbi Davies told me. That. I don't know. We'll see. It's my core for it somewhere. So it's a holy city in a way. It's a holy and, city, and it's a place you remember with tremendous fondness. Tr- tr- tremendous, tremendous fondness. How, were you there your whole life? Until no, you- no. I actually, I moved there for graduate school. Mm. Uh, I was living downtown. Rabbi Sittner at the time was the uh, was the rabbi of BSBI, and uh, it was it, it was it was a special time in Charleston, as all times in Charleston are. Um, and uh, I think uh, it, was, it was a transitional time as well, parabolic. It's, it's always Rabbi David said it's always it's parabolic. I feel like it's always been parabolic. You know, it's 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 uh, constantly just turning that curve. You know, what I'm saying it's, it's going up, but. Um, 
one thing I will share is that, uh, you know, being in a place where not everybody is Jewish, uh, things aren't easy. Sometimes against a different gradient like that, you discover different things about yourself as a Jewish person and your relationship with other Jewish people, uh, you know, really, really, uh, really shows through. Amazing. All right. We have uh, we have so many great communities that we're talk- talking about this week. And right now we're focused on Charleston, South Carolina. Uh, Rabbi Davies is with us live via telephone. Jason Daniels is here with us in Atlanta. Uh, Rabbi Davies, I would guess because of the position where Charleston is uh, both geographically and, um, and, and in terms of uh, uh, its growth, in its general growth, not Jewish growth, but its general growth, you are seeing a lot of visitors to the city, that you're meeting a lot of people who come from different parts of the United States and the world, either for work purposes or even vacation down there in Charleston. Yes, well, Charleston is uh, one of the actually number one vacation spots uh, in the world over the last couple of years. Uh, Really amazing, the uh, combination of the history, not only of the Jewish community, but the community in general, um, uh, plus the the scenery, the beaches, there's so many different things, the weather. Um, which I understand is much better than what's uh, going on in the uh, in the north and northeast and Midwest in particular. I've heard <laughs> it's pretty cold right now. Yeah, um, sure. but uh, so we definitely get people coming through. We are pretty much the halfway spot between New York and Florida. So anyone taking that drive either one way or the other, um, oftentimes we'll stop we'll stop over here for a minion, uh, grab a bite to eat at one of our. Uh, very few, but uh, very uh, good quality uh, kosher eateries um, here in Charleston. Um, I want to just actually go back to one point, which is uh, that Jason mentioned, which is that, you know, uh, Jason, as he mentioned, uh, moved away from Charleston about three years ago. Jason is still very much a part of the and his family and all of the families that have been in Charleston are very much a part of our family at, in Charleston and in Dortikva. Um you know, when we dedicated the renovation space, uh, you know, Jason said, I'm there. Like, there's not even a question. And he and he came up with it with his old, eldest daughter and uh, had it was really uh, amazing to see the connections that continue and, and the family that we create in our in our shul and in our community um, that really um, holds people together, even once they've actually left, even left Charleston. Um, and it's really a very special quality that we have here. You know, it's funny. As much as we concentrate on certain communities missing certain things, physical aspects of Jewish life, it sounds like uh, not much is missing down there in Charleston. <laughs> <laughs> we, con- we concentrate on all the services and amenities that other major Jewish communities have, but it sounds like uh, you trade in some of those for the wow. type of lifestyle that you have in Charleston, South Carolina. Right on. It's really fantastic, and I wanted to say also a shout-out to the OU for their support, and particularly uh, Rabbi Stephen Weil, the Senior Managing Director of the OU, was here a few months ago and uh, toured the new, our new facility, our rented facility, and, uh, you know, the, the sanctuary itself really uh, represents this idea of, um, of the warmth that we have in terms of, uh, I described it after our dedication, it really feels like a hug. Um, it's really an intimate space. Uh, you know, it, it you know fits the 200 people, but it's uh, really a uh, a space where everyone feels welcomed. Everyone feels a part of the uh, community and a part of the family um, when they're there. And uh, it's a, it's a special place, both uh, in its physical sense, but also as Jason mentioned, in the ruah and the feeling that we that we have there. 
Uh, information about what Rabbi Davies does down in Charleston. It's dortikva.org with an H at the end. Dortikva with an H at the end dot org. You can get information on the website. Rabbi Davies, continued success. Continued Hatzlacha to you and uh, Dortikva and the Charleston Jewish community. And thanks so much for joining us this morning. Thank you, Nathan. And Jason Daniels, thanks for stopping by and giving us Pleasure. the uh, the New Atlanta Pleasure. perspective on Charleston. No problem. Greatly Easy. appreciated. More coming up. You're listening to JM and the AM at five minutes before seven o'clock. We're at the Stark Beth Jacobs Synagogue in Atlanta, Georgia, as we continue as we continue to um, focus on the Jewish communities of the southern region, courtesy of the American Committee for Shared Tzedek Medical Center in Jerusalem and our friends of the Orthodox Union. You're listening to JM in the AM.
That's Eitan Freilich, and this is America's one and only Jewish Moments in the Morning Radio program heard on listener-sponsored digital radio, around the world, on the web, at NachumSiegel.com, on the NachumSiegel Network, and of course, on the beloved NSN app. Uh, we are at the Beth Jacob Congregation here in Atlanta, Georgia, a historic congregation to say the least. Uh, an understatement, if there's such a thing as uh, calling something historic and it being an understatement. Uh, and as uh, services are going on here in the congregation, in the building, we have the opportunity, the wonderful opportunity, to welcome the spiritual leader of Congregation Beth Jacob, uh, Rabbi Ilan Feldman, who has the distinction of leading one of the great Jewish communities of the United States of America, and that is, of course, the Atlanta, Georgia Jewish community. Rabbi Feldman, it is an honor to welcome you to JM in the AM. It's honor to be here. I appreciate that, and it's great to be in your synagogue, and to be here in uh, such an amazing and incredible—not uh, just congregation, but an incredible Jewish community. I was reading up earlier this morning, trying to get a perspective of the era that I was more familiar with uh, in Atlanta, the '80s and '90s, and I saw some of the statistics in terms of families and and what was going on in terms of Jewish life down here. And, and I thought it was pretty impressive back then. Atlanta had, under your father's leadership, an amazing reputation. What has happened since then is unbelievable. The numbers are remarkable. The growth is incredible. And you've seen all of this from your vantage point as rabbi of this congregation. What can you tell us about the Jewish community of Atlanta in 2019? I don't know where to start. There's a, a lot to talk about. Um, and, I, you know, the numbers are incredible. And it's not about the numbers. It's really about the quality uh, and about the attitude of the people. We have some just a wonderful coalition of, uh, of, of lay leaders and rabbinic leaders. Uh, we're really blessed here. I still don't understand it because it seems supernatural. A coalition of cooperation. Yeah. And that's sometimes yeah. rare in the Jewish world, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it <laughs> is. It is. <laughs> and it doesn't come easily. It comes with... Uh, with a willingness from all, from all participants to really make things work. And uh, we're still small enough to realize that we need each other. Right. Uh, and as we grow, we have to keep on remembering that we need each other. Yeah, there are some community leaders that jokingly were, were skeptical about our visit because they'd like to keep Atlanta a secret, you know, not, not let it grow too much. So I guess you understand what that perspective is all about. <laughs> yeah, listen, we're enriched when people move here because they bring their uniqueness and their their resources and their talents and their investment. And at the same time, we want to make sure not to copy uh, some of the uh, largeness of, uh, some of the, of the challenges, some of the challenges <laughs> that come with being large. That's right. Yeah. Rabbi Elad Feldman is with yeah. us. We're in his congregation here at Beth Jacob. If you look at the history, and this is not news to you, but certainly to some listeners it will be, if you look at the history of this community, it all emanates from here. It's, uh, how long has the synagogue been on this property? 1950s? Um, 60s? It's no, early 1960s. 61, actually. It, it yeah. all emanates from here. If you look at a school, a kollel, even other congregations in this town, the web of growth has all started from Beth Jacob. It's uh, absolutely true. It's really been the, the center of a community, the source of a community. And um, even now, uh, with all of the other organizations and, and uh, initiatives by all kinds of good and wonderful and holy people. The fact is that uh, this synagogue is more than a synagogue. It's a, it's a community center. Right. Um, in terms of the programming that we have, the kinds of events that we hold here, we just had a visitor from Israel 
uh, who couldn't uh, believe that a synagogue was sponsoring a ski trip. <laughs> you know? So to us, that's normal. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Not everybody appreciates that. Yeah. But, yeah. Uh, and I saw, the, uh, I saw the number of uh, flyers for upcoming events. I'm not talking about through the rest of 2019. I'm talking about just what's happening in January and February. It's pretty impressive. A lot of different yeah. things going on, speakers and lecturers coming in from around the world. And they're joining your congregation here. And, and an opportunity to grow. There's so much education happening here on a regular basis in so many areas of Jewish life. Yeah, I think you hit on a key word, and that's growth. Um, and that's, uh, that's something that not everybody is used to hearing. But we like to emphasize growth. The idea <coughs> that we're put on this planet to actually transform ourselves and right. actually leave the earth uh, a little bit uh, better than when we came or or a little bit more than that would have happened naturally without pushing ourselves. So that's one of the key words here, and I think it's attractive to people. Somebody who was in this building 20 years ago, it would look somewhat unfamiliar to them. There's been renovations and growth even physically at Beth Jacob, right? Yes, yes. As a matter of fact, um, uh, we like to talk about this building as representing community because we have a huge social hall, wedding right. hall. We have a base Knesset, we have a shul, and we have a base medrash. We have the Kolo base medrash. One of the... Uh, sources of pride for our show is that we have a physical building attached to our building that belongs to the Kolel, but that makes a statement that a community needs a place of, uh, of Talmud Torah, of Torah study. So it's right here on our property, right there in front, very proudly broadcasting to the world that uh, this is part of our community. Right, yeah. and beyond that, uh, just a, another few feet away in whatever direction you're going, you have a girls' school here, right? Right, yeah, right across the road, so to speak. Uh, the Torah Day School, very close nearby. Mm -hmm. I'm sure the Feldman family had a lot to do with founding that school. Am I right? Uh, no, we, were the, we were there when <laughs> it happened. But, <laughs> but I want to make sure to give the credit to right. the people who really initiated it. Yeah. Right, but, all these, but this whole system, the day school, the girls' school, the kolos, you mentioned obviously the synagogue and other synagogues, all seems to be, again, in this epicenter of Toko Hills. And if you go back to the... 30s and 40s and told people that there'd be a major Jewish community on this spot, they would have, been, would have been very skeptical, right? The growth really just started in the 1950s. Yeah, and putting it in context, you mentioned the 30s and 40s right. and even the 50s. Um, outside of the uh, metropolitan area of New York, the assumption was that orthodoxy wasn't going to make it in the United States at all. And let's, let's uh, realize that in the 50s, the, the thing called outreach didn't exist there wasn't the notion of communities growing or, or synagogues becoming uh, more involved or invested in orthodoxy. Uh, they, things were going the other way. So, um, you know, this synagogue ends up really at the cusp of a revolution in American Jewish life where that which was considered impossible actually happened gradually and slowly, and it wasn't easy. It didn't happen overnight. It happened so slowly that one could have said it wasn't happening at all. Right. Yeah. So this, uh, the growth is part of, is really a byword of the community as a whole and really the byword of individuals. And I will add, if I may, that um, we are proud of the fact that we probably have one of the highest per capita rates of Aliyah of almost any Orthodox community in the United States. Uh, we have an entire division of former Atlantans who are now living in Eretz Israel and who are proud participants in Israeli life whether it's the military or in Torah study and communities around, around Israel, northern Israel, Yerushalayim, etc. And that's because um, growth was natural. And, and at a certain point, particularly in the 70s and 80s, um, 
people looked around and said, okay, I've reached a certain point and now I need more. Uh, and to them, more was Israel. They found it in Israel. Yeah, yeah. And I like how you emphasize no matter what they're doing in Israel and you, you encourage yeah. all aspects of Jewish life as long as people are continuing to be part of the community. Exactly right. Yeah. Um, we, we, we've given this distinction. Some people say the capital. Uh, I've been careful. So I say a capital. I don't want to insult anybody. Uh, in terms of Atlanta being referred to as a capital of the Jewish South, do you in fact feel from your vantage point that you've had, meaning the Atlanta community, has had influence on some of the other communities in this region? Sure. Um, if nothing else, we're a model for others, wh for what's possible. And I think uh, uh, if you're a smaller community and you wonder if you have the resources or the institutions, uh, the whole apparatus of a community, uh, you wonder if people could be attracted to the community, you look at Atlanta and you see that it's been done. And if it's been done there, why not here? Right. So there, I think... Um, uh, we really provide a certain beacon for, for others. And as yeah. you know, the uh, Orthodox Union is helping us uh, sponsor this journey. Uh, and they've had an influence not just here, but in other communities in the southeast. And uh, we'll give them a little shout-out this morning as well. <laughs> not, I'll give them a, 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 <laughs> a bigger shout-out. Shout <laughs> you know, the, uh, the, uh, the Hurricane Irma thing. Right. Was, uh, yeah, without the OU, it wouldn't have happened. And I, I recall the, the moment... Um, when we're on a conference call with the OU, anticipating that there might be there might be some evacuation from Florida, um, and we were trying to find out what we needed to do, and uh, on this call I said to uh, to the leadership of the OU, listen, we have the people, we have the willingness, we have the resources, we need the money, and within a second they said, fine, we're putting down X amount of dollars, and let us know if you need more, and that just gave us the freedom to do whatever needed to be done. The OU really uh, deserves a tremendous amount of credit. Uh, it's a perfect ex example of what a national organization can do. And that resulted in thousands of people being helped through a very difficult time as they traveled from Florida to Atlanta. Yeah, and uh, what's, what, from my point of view as a rabbi of a congregation, what was beautiful about it was that we didn't think of ourselves as helping. We, <laughs> thought of our, we had a wonderful time. It was just an amazing <laughs> experience. Amazing. I just stood there. Uh, like a proud father, just uh, tears streaming down my cheeks, just watching the excitement of the host communities, uh, Young Israel and Beth Jacob working together. It was it was really very exciting. So Atlanta's people came through, huh? We came through. Not we. You guys came through in that episode. Yeah, and you know, I, I noticed this in my work as a rabbi. The people who come through in a particular situation never think of themselves as unusual. And uh, we didn't think of ourselves as unusual. We just did what came naturally. And uh, it was really a growth experience for us. And it was exciting and fun. Uh, brought us together. And um, I think something that was unique to Atlanta's spirit, uh, we didn't take the time to match the guests to the hosts. Meaning you could have a Hasidic uh, <laughs> family from South Florida coming up here and we put them uh, in whatever house had the number of beds that they needed. And that house may have had a widescreen TV and a hostess who's wearing pants and they knock on the door at 10 o'clock at night, we're here, and it worked out beautifully. Um, which just underlines the truism that uh, Jews are connected no matter what their superficial exterior differences might be. And that episode, of course, uh, for those of us outside of Atlanta, really helped us focus on how beautiful and wonderful your community is. It really brought yeah. it to the forefront, to say the least. Yeah. Uh, Rabbi Elon Feldman, we're in his synagogue, Beth Jacob, here in Atlanta, Georgia. It's uh, 
it's it, it almost sounds silly for me to ask you, you know, how you see the future of this congregation and this community when all you keep doing, thank God, behind her is just growing and growing and growing. I'm assuming that that's what you're hoping for, and that's what you see in the future. What I see in the future is a mass exodus to Israel as <laughs> a community <laughs> with each other, lovingly together. <laughs> uh, no, but seriously, it really is unpredictable. Um, and uh, my father, uh, Shlita, uh, may he be well, my father used to actually uh, react with a little bit of negativity when people would say, you know, what was your plan? And his answer was, I had no plan. <laughs> he went and with the flow. <laughs> and he's proud of it. He's proud of that. And, uh, and I think that you can't really plan growth. And the beautiful thing about growth is it comes from the, from the grassroots. And that means that um, uh, it's, it's totally, you cannot tell what, what the next initiative is going to be, what the next need is going to be. But um, we're here to help. And we yeah. should mention your father's uh, great published works of so many of his wonderful stories. Happened, many of them happened right here in this building. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, shout out for Tales Out of Show, one yeah. of the best-selling English language. It is a big bestseller. Yeah. Yeah. And as a son of a rabbi, I related yeah. to half of those stories, let me tell you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> rabbi Feldman, thank you for welcoming us here today. It's great to have you. It's an honor to shift the center of the universe to Atlanta, Georgia. <laughs> yeah, imagine yeah, that, yeah. huh? Yeah. No New York and New Jersey yeah. today. Today yeah, it's Atlanta. Right. Thank you yeah. so much. You're well, welcome. just like the NFL and all of America is focused on Atlanta, apparently there's a big game on Sunday. Uh, we are focused on Atlanta this week as a uh, capital of the Jewish South. Our thanks to the American Committee for Sharetetic Medical Center in Jerusalem for sponsoring our broadcast. And, of course, to the Orthodox Union, not only for sponsoring our broadcast, but making it possible to really analyze and discuss the communities of the southern region. As we continue on this, uh, uh, on this um, Wednesday morning broadcast, Adina Landsberg is uh, with us, calling from Boca Raton, Florida. Adina, are you there? I'm here. Good morning. Good, How are you? Good morning. It's wonderful to speak with you. And Davida Graber is with us here. Hi, Davida. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you for being here in our makeshift studio at Beth Jacobs Synagogue in Atlanta, Georgia. The two of you have a story to tell. Do we start with the Boca side of the story or the Atlanta? We should start with Boca, right? We're going to start with the Boca side of the story. Adina, take it away. Tell us about Hurricane Irma. (laughs) Oh, well, do we have a story to tell? Um, So last September, I mean, you know, Hurricane Irma was approaching. It was pretty crazy. Everyone here was really nervous. It was pretty chaotic. And um, I was 37 weeks pregnant with uh, our first child. And my husband and I made the decision basically to leave Southern Florida. We were really, we were really nervous about what the, you know, what it could look like <laughs> if we were stuck in the middle of a Category Four or Five storm. And I went into labor, so we um, we basically packed up our car and headed up to Atlanta. We didn't really know anyone. We sort of knew Atla- We knew Davida. Um, I'd say that Davida and I at the time were sort of acquaintances. Uh, we had met, actually, the way we met was total hashkafa. It was really a story in and of itself. We met in Italy a few weeks, uh, a few years ago on vacation. That's funny. But, um, yeah, it was pretty <laughs> crazy. But basically, Davida reached out to us and said, hey, I'd love to, I'd love to host you guys. And we headed up there. 
for the uh, very, very long 12-hour drive. Did you know the situation and that Dina was in at that time? I did. You she, did know. She you, had you, put you... a Facebook post up saying, is anybody in the Carolinas <laughs> or Georgia you know, want to host me and my charming English husband? And he is very charming, and Dina's lovely, <laughs> and their dog, who's super cute. Um, and I noticed people were commenting, they were from New Jersey, New York, come on up. And I was like, oh, I don't know if she knows anyone in Georgia. I was like, come on over. We're happy to have you. So... She was so nice about it. She really, she was like, come, you know, no problem. She put me in touch right away with um, Dr. Joseph Tate, who is the uh, very well-known OB up there. And um, we were, we were, you know, very excited to spend what we thought was going to be a nice weekend <laughs> up in the Atlanta community. Both my husband and I had never been there before. And um, at, literally as soon as we got there, I already wasn't feeling so great. And I went straight, literally we drove oh. into Atlanta and straight to, to Dr. Tate's office. And at the time, he basically said to me, listen, you know, this baby's coming soon. Wow. He's like, I don't, I don't think that you're really going to be able to make it back to Florida um, anytime soon. And sure enough... <laughs> The next day, we arrived, I think, Thursday morning, and the next day, Friday afternoon, I went into labor. And four hours later, uh, my little Yishai Gavriel, who we call Jesse, is, uh, was born just before Shabbos, just when all, when all of the craziness was going on. It was in a hospital I didn't know, with a doctor I didn't really know. Gosh. We didn't, we didn't know anyone there apart from Davida and um, all of our friends who had obviously come from the Boca community who had made their way up to, um, up to Atlanta. We so, really didn't know so many people. So Jesse is a native Atlantan, huh? He is. <laughs> you, thought he'd he be born, is <laughs> you thought he'd be born in Florida. Instead, he's a Georgian. We did, exactly. He's our little Georgia peach, as we call him. <laughs> and um, he's, got, uh, he's got quite the birth story, I'll tell you. That's for I mean, sure. But I'll be honest with you. I'll be honest. The, the truth is that the, you know, the crazy part of the story isn't even beforehand in the birth. It's really what happened afterwards. I mean, we came back from the hospital you know, after Shabbos, I think Sunday morning, and we were having people show up on our doorstep People who we had never met before, like, had no idea who they were. They were coming with packages of diapers and baby <laughs> supplies and uh, clothing. We got tons of clothing. Do you remember People, all this? Vita will tell you. <laughs> it, it was, it was really amazing how the community came together and... Um, you know, everything from, I, I think I put a post on Jewish Moms of Atlanta, which is a huge Facebook group here that really goes across all different demographics of Jews here. People showed up. There was a, a lactation consultant who volunteered for services and an <laughs> incredible photographer who showed up. And everyone, yeah, people came with diapers, people came with food, people came with everything. And it, it was really, really very special. And, and, and this happened on more than one occasion that weekend. Uh, which we'll talk about a little later on, and uh, the community really came through for a lot of people. Adina Landsberg's with us from Boca. Uh, Davida Graber is with us here in Atlanta. We're talking about the experience they had during Hurricane Irma uh, when uh, they, they thought they'd be, the Landsbergs thought they'd be expanding their family down in Florida, but it eventually happened up here in Georgia. Uh, and the reaction of the community up here, I mean, I know you just described it, uh, Davida, but uh, in terms of the response, but it, it, it must be heartwarming being part of a of an atmosphere like this, well, Atlanta's a great place, um, and I'm not really surprised. And you know this from long time experience, I, right? I grew up here, <laughs> um, and I 
moved back after I got married and we're raising a family here and it's, it's a great place. And uh, it's known for its warmth and I, I really find that, um, you know, it's, it's incredible how people reacted. We we had a we had a full house. It, it, we had <laughs> yeah. Besides know. the Landsbergs, you had other people <laughs> to worry about, right? We we did. We had we had like two other family group <laughs> members who had come up also from Florida, and then I heard that there was they were going to put cots downstairs in the youth lounge here at Beth Jacob, and I heard that they were going to put cots at Torrey Day School, and I said to my husband, you know, we've got more room. Let's move the kids in with us, and we'll tell them at the main center of command here. We've got more space. So I was actually driving to the hospital to bring them food for Shabbat, and I got a call from main command. We've got four more people for you. They're going to come just as Shabbat is starting. I said, bring it on. So we had, I think, I think baby Jesse made 17 people staying in the house. Pretty amazing. <laughs> uh, a real hachnasat orchim, to say the least. I want to thank Davida Graber. She was uh, one of the many people here on the front lines in Atlanta during a very, very historic, at this point, episode of Hurricane Irma. And we want to thank Adina Landsberg. How's Jesse doing, Adina? Thank God. He's a very cute, very mischievous 16-month-old now. <laughs> Phenomenal. Incredible story. Thank you both very, very much for joining me this morning. And by the way, uh, Dr. Tate is scheduled to join us. Dr. Tate is scheduled to join us coming up here at JM in the AM. Uh, everyone stay tuned. We'll get the perspective of the doctor who was consulted with and then eventually uh, helped a tremendous number of families uh, here um, in Atlanta, Georgia during Hurricane Irma. JM in the AM, more coming up from Atlanta, Georgia. Keep it here, everybody.
J.M. in the A.M. That was brand new Baruch Levine here on a J.M. in the A.M. Wednesday morning. We're in Atlanta, Georgia, everybody. That's right. We're in Atlanta, capital of the Jewish South, as we explore some of the great uh, communities of the southeastern portion of the United States, courtesy of the American Committee for Shari Tzedek Medical Center in Jerusalem, and of course, our friends of the Orthodox Union. Well, the aforementioned Dr. Joe Tate is with us live via telephone. He is the doctor that we were referring to in that great story about Hurricane Irma. Dr. Tate, welcome to JM in the AM. Yeah, good morning. How did this morning's delivery go? Everything okay? Yes, that's very well. Very well. And, uh, <laughs> so, so now I'm off to my next experience. <laughs> and you must have many of them. Um, so people contacted you. Uh, at that time, when Hurricane Irma was bearing down on Florida, and the, so many Flor- Floridians decided to come up to Atlanta, they, they turned to you for help. They they turned to you to go ahead and uh, and step in for their regular doctor, so to speak. Was there any apprehension, any any tension when you knew you were now stepping into you know what was essentially was strangers' medical situations? Well. The, the uh, biggest problem, I, I don't know if I call it apprehension, but the biggest problem uh, was getting adequate records because they were dealing with calling a, a city and doctors, and, of course, everything was closed down there. Right. And you know, it was very, very difficult to get records. <coughs> Some came with their records, which was smart. But it was very difficult uh, I know you talked with Adina, and I, I, I don't know if you were also, I, I thought you were going to maybe talk with Rachel as well, but you actually delivered. But the truth of the matter is, uh, I, there were at least five or so others that were potentially going to deliver that <laughs> we had to spend a whole day like getting records. So that was the apprehension, I think. Yeah. Unbelievable. So getting familiar with the cases would have been the biggest problem in that situation. And it ended up, it, it, it was two or three um, uh, babies. I, that- I, ended, I ended up doing, doing uh, I think, three delivered up here. I delivered two of them. Two out of the uh, three delivered up here. Yeah. <coughs> uh, as I recall, I delivered uh, uh, Dean the day after she got up here. And uh, I guess you know she had a boy. Yep, we heard. I decided to stay up here for the bris, and I was meant to be at the bris. I, that's when I was delivering the second Floridian. 
<laughs> and now I'm and now I'm told that those babies are proud Georgians. <laughs> well, surely they are at least honorary. <laughs> at, at the minimum, right? At the minimum. Um, so, so the 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 technical part, getting familiar with the cases, that obviously, <laughs> as you described, was one of the situations you were dealing with, and then actually <laughs> actually participating and delivering. Uh, these babies, but I guess people like yourself, who are professionals in this area, are ready for emergencies. And if you know, so someone would approach you and say, you know, you know, I, I, it, it, I, I think it's time. You're, you're ready to jump in and take care of things, right? You're prepared uh, for the situation. I, I think that's about par for the course. Right, exactly. You so, know, if you're delivering babies, you got to think on your feet. And it didn't surprise you that uh, that, that this type of situation brought about um, the need for someone like yourself to step in. And to be there, Johnny on the spot, so to speak. <laughs> yeah. Oh well, it, it was really good, I, and I, you know, I'm glad we have the kind of community that responded in the way that allowed us to do that. And that means what? What type of response do you mean? I mean that the people were taken care of. Uh, <coughs> well, we would have been happy, I think, many houses even to have them stay over and eat, but uh, the community pitched together and, and literally had a communal dinner at the. Uh, synagogue and uh you know finding you know, places for them to stay would have been difficult so but, you uh, so you look at it uh, more you put it together you look at it more that you did your you did your little part in what was a massive operation to help a lot of people oh it definitely got i mean we had you know i found out about these women because they had they had uh people on the phone banks that were manning them and talking to these people and finding out what they needed and uh, I was just one resource that they could then, oh, we got this pregnant lady coming up. Can you see her? Yeah, okay. This is what we're going to do. Pretty amazing. Uh, I think Adina actually literally came up and went straight to my office and what turned out <laughs> to be not, not the real thing, but she was kind of laboring a little as she rolled into the city. Yeah, she told us that she was a, a, a <laughs> direct from Florida to your office, and thank God the next morning everything worked out really well. I, I remember that. That's exactly <laughs> what happened. Dr. Tate, then, I think... Uh, then... I'm sorry, go ahead. I'm sorry? No, go ahead. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt you. No, I, I, I'm saying it just turned out to be a little bit of a false alarm that she delivered, if I'm not mistaken, the very next day. Right, exactly. Dr. Tate, I thank you. You're a good example of people stepping up when people are in need, and I thank you for the story and for joining us this morning on JM in the AM. Okay, glad right. to do it. There Keep you well. go. Dr. Joe Tate, who was responsible for two of the three births that took place here in Florida, excuse me, in Georgia, in Atlanta, uh, from people in the Florida Boca Jewish community. JM and the AM are being presented by the American Committee for Charitetic Medical Center in Jerusalem, and of course our friends at the Orthodox Union, this time each and every Monday through Thursday. But David Goldwasser's words, Zechonishmas Harav Zebnabil Sevalevi, and Zechonishmas Esther Basrabil Sevalevi. Here is Rabbi David Goldwasser with Morning Chizuk. Good morning. We learn myriads of Malachim praise and sanctify Hashem's name in great joy and happiness. They run to do the will of Hashem. As soon as He commands it, they don't even delay a single moment. In Brochus we learn, Michael Ba'achas, Gavriel Bishtayim, the angel Michael can leap across the world in a single bound. Gavriel Bishtayim, Gavriel takes two. Elio Anovi Ba'arba, Elio Anovi can leap across in four. The interesting idea is that 
this is some bit of esoteric information. It's really not something that we need to know. So the Chavaz Chaim asks, why are we told this? He points out that the Talmud is actually making a very profound point. Malachim, don't act in vain. The Talmud explains that when a Malach leaps through this world, he's on his way to perform a task. Each Malach performs his duties with all the strengths that he has. Although Eliyuan Novi could certainly leap across the world in six or in eight bounds, he does so in four. The reason is, is because he's able to. If he were to take longer than necessary, he would be delaying his mission. Therefore, he does so in four bounds, not to delay even a single moment. Each person goes according to their own ability. The Bnei says that an individual is obligated to be mishtado with all that they have, to go bizrizos with zeal and enthusiasm. We have a proof from Michoel. He did his shlichus, he did his mission in one bound, Gavriel with two. People sometimes go quickly and sometimes slower. Malochim do all that is within their power because that's their desire. We too have the power to be great, have the power to accomplish all that Hashem put us here for in this world. All an individual has to do is to believe in themselves and to utilize that great potential that lies within each and every one of us. This has been Rabbi David Goldwasser bringing you Morning Chizik. Have a nice day. JM in the AM as we continue from Atlanta, Georgia. We've got an amazing show so far on day three of our journey to the south. Thanks to the American Committee for Sharitetic Medical Center in Jerusalem and the friends at the Orthodox Union as we continue here on a Wednesday at the Beth Jacobs Synagogue in Atlanta. Keep it right here at JM in the AM.
JM in the AM. Thanks for tuning in, for joining us as we continue our adventure here in Atlanta, Georgia. We're at the Beth Jacob Congregation, and Donnie Katz is our guest. He is a resident of the Toco Hills section of um, Atlanta, Georgia. And he is currently working as a manager in the uh, Entity Planning and Analysis Team within Flight Profitability at Delta Airlines here in Atlanta, Georgia. Graduated with a PhD in Civil Engineering from Georgia Tech. For his doctoral work, he explored the revenue impacts associated with de-peaking hub airline schedules. Prior to attending Georgia Tech, he won a Fulbright to study bus crowding in Dhaka, Bangladesh, and collected and analyzed data to understand how bus design characteristics, stop locations, and crowding at doors influences safety and operational performance measures. Donnie Katz, <laughs> if I had the opportunity, you would be the only guest on this three-hour show. <laughs> Welcome to JM and the AM. Glad to be here. Uh, and you're working for Delta for how long? Six years now. All right. And uh, look, you know that a regular guy like me has no idea what... what uh, Flight profit, uh, what what entity planning and analysis means within flight profitability at Delta? Can you explain it to an average layman like myself? Of course, I think I do it every Shabbos. Um, <laughs> so basically, we try to figure out how much each flight is making. Um, obviously, not flight by flight. We have a big system that does that. But trying to figure out, like you know, the flights that you all would have flown in on, like how much does Atlanta to LaGuardia make on you know January thirtieth at eight a.m. Um, just to understand what costs go into that and then obviously we know the ticket prices and you know partitioning that all around so that you can say oh this flight's doing well this flight's not doing well right. and do you include all the extras in that oh the, yeah all the, all the, the baggage and the the meals and snacks that are purchased yeah that makes that makes the whole thing the whole, whole thing work right. that's so. the whole industry right <laughs> yeah so without and, those <laughs> and that, that's actually the, the easy part the hard part is figuring out okay you got a pilot who's flying that he flies all month he flies 20 flights you got to push all that around to all the various things he does he gets vacation time all that builds up you know, your fuel prices how much you're playing the flight attendant maintain the cost of like you know make sure the airplane breaks down which it never does a delta never does um, <laughs> you've never seen it at least <laughs> but the, the constant maintenance we do to make sure things fly right all the time all right so what is the i mean i would assume uh um aircraft maintenance is your largest cost or i'm wrong about that fuel definitely fuel, fuel is yeah. the largest cost um, it, it, it's a it's a big portion of what delta does uh, all airlines do um particularly um well, you know well airlines these days and even fuels a much bigger cost than ever has been before and it's a huge thing that you know all the airlines are facing at any given time with fuel spikes you know, it's a it's a big deal we work around um but definitely our biggest cost and half the time that we see prices go up in the airline industry it's because of fuel prices is I that what you're saying i definitely think when, when fuel rises all the airlines need to they kind of right the ticket ticket usually one airline will initiate a fair increase sometimes it's southwest sometimes it's delta it doesn't matter then, then we'll see if airlines will match it and it's all coming because as fuel rises there's a need to right. you know, recoup that cost are airlines profitable Yes, I think most U.S. airlines are profitable, if not all airlines are profitable right and now. And because of people like yourself, they're able to stay profitable because you're determining what is necessary in order to do that. Yeah, exactly. You know, there's putting thought into what's the best way to fly the fly the airplane, which airplanes going on right. which routes. Uh, you know, you don't want to fly. How a, does an airline make a decision to cancel a flight? Usually, it's because it's not making money. Um, I think. I think. For, so weather is only an excuse. Oh, oh, I thought you meant cancel like. 
like don't fly the flight ever again. No, like, oh, okay. no, no, I don't mean that. I don't mean okay. the, the route or anything like that. I mean, you know, if yeah. if we read today that 2,700 flights are canceled in the United States, mm-hmm. and I'm sure your airline is affected by it, right, by yeah. the cold in the middle part of the country, mm-hmm. um, at, at some point that decision had to be made. And, and, and what, was, what went into that decision to yeah, cancel so the flight? We've got this really cool place. It's called the Operations Control Center, and it's, or actually Operations and Customer Care Center. Um, and it's got these big TV screens, all these wet meteorologists, folks, like hundreds of folks determining, is this, is this flight safe to fly? Um, you know, is the, with the weather, um, it's, it's almost always going to be weather if a flight gets canceled. Right. It, with, at least with Delta, we have very few maintenance cancellations because we do maintain the aircraft at a very high level. Um, and we've made, put a big, big priority on making sure we don't have anything pop up right. that cancel a flight. But there's a difference when a flight is canceled this morning because of weather as opposed to yesterday or last night because of weather that's expected. That, I would assume, is a different algorithm to Certainly. determine should we cancel this flight or yeah, not. Yeah, I think yesterday when they when they, pre, like, they pre-canceled 170 flights, right. they were just being prudent. Um, maybe they, they saw that there was ability to do that within the schedule flexibility, um, to not, not risk the, the whole operation breaking down across, right. across our Do network. they regret it in retrospect or not? Knowing that the weather was not a challenging day yesterday in Atlanta in the end, do you think Delta would have preferred if they would have had a regular day of flying? Uh, yeah, we always prefer a, 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 you know, blue, right. call, a blue sky day. Um, you know, and <laughs> With no wind and no turbulence. Yeah, those, 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 <laughs> days, those days are great. Um, I, I don't know if they re- regret it. I mean, certainly customer and, and employee safety comes first, and they saw there was going to be issues out there yesterday. I mean, especially with, with if there's ice on the tarmac. You got guys out there and, and you know, working, the, working the ramp. That can be dicey and you want to make sure everyone's working safely and properly at the right pace and not rushing in a bad, in a bad situation. Right. How do you determine which snacks to bring onto a flight? Is um, that also a cost uh, issue? Well, I, th- I think they, 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 they look at what customers want. In the morning time, they put off those Biscoff cookies, which aren't kosher. Um, <laughs> the nerve of that. <laughs> <laughs> they have, they have like, I think they have peanuts in the morning and in the afternoon, they usually the, the fork, the complement of the four snacks we offer right now. <laughs> I've, I've noticed just flying what, what they happen to be. But we try to refresh those all the time. Um, Does this job take you to a lot of cities? You're always in Atlanta. My particular role, I'm always in Atlanta. I haven't really traveled around, despite working for a travel company. Right. Um, I, I've, in like my six years, I've had, I've only had one business trip. Right. This is the guy in our company who does the most traveling, Yoni Pollock, and explain why he goes online and the flight's 150 bucks, and he goes online the next day and it's 19 dollars. Why is that? I'm, I'm really impressed. The price dropped that much. <laughs> <laughs> well, it may not be as much, but you have seen fluctuation. Why, why yeah. is that? That I could purchase it today at a certain price and tomorrow I'm going to save 100 dollars. Um, so tickets definitely drop prices, usually drop price on the weekends. I, t- I tend, to tend to see, um, that's because, um, you know, to, 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 incur- to get people to book on the weekends, which usually they're not looking at their computers at that time, mm. it's less so. At least. That was your theory. I remember. Um, right. you know, there's, there's, there's less folks out there booking, but generally, you know, from what I understand is like you go, you go to work on a Monday and you, you leave work. You're like, well, maybe not you, but a lot of folks leave work and go, I, I hate my job and they want to get a vacation and they come home and it's in the evening time. They get time they get to sit with their spouse and say, "Let's go on a trip this weekend." And so it's it's Monday night that we're you know we want to make sure that we are pricing correctly to take in that surge of demand, um, especially on f- Thursdays and Fridays as well. You might see folks coming in. This is a long week. I need to get away this weekend or next weekend, and we might price accordingly to make sure to capture that higher level demand. Um, so I think things things are priced based on based on when when we think people are going to book, um, and when we think people are not going to book, we need to maybe induce that demand. And that means lowering the prices. Mm-hmm. Yeah, or maybe there's a sale, or you know, sometimes like if, if especially if Southwest, who's you know definitely going to be one of the lower players, lower price players in the network, um, or Spirit or Frontier, if they're putting out a sale, let's say on a weekend, 
we're going to need to match that. We can't we can't always be, you know, $100 above everyone else. You know, we need to be on, on par. Right. You ever hear of People Express? I have heard of that. You studied that whole thing? No. I flew in the 1980s on People Express for $19 to Cleveland. <laughs> and the whole concept was you get on the plane, you pay on the plane. Interesting. And, you know, you literally paid on the plane. Yeah. I mean, either cash or credit card. And uh, and it was all no frills. But these no frills efforts never seem to work in the airline industry. I, well, I think you know, Spirit and Frontier are have made it work. They, they they're, have they're, made it work. They, they've really done a great job. They target what where to fly appropriately. You mentioned you flew Cleveland to Miami. That would yeah. never work. That doesn't work as well these days on those no frill airlines. They like to fly people from cold nor- Midwest, like you know, Madison down to Tampa, someplace that's going to be taking people from cold to warm in the winter, and then the summertime, you know, taking folks from, I don't know, I don't know where they fly in the summer. (laughs) 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 They do a really good job in the winter down flying people to warm places. And how, when we talk about studying what's happening on the buses in different cities, uh, like the one you did in Dhaka, Bangladesh, um, is that is that essentially what city planners are doing, or this is a really a sub 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 specialty of the city planning category? Yeah, I think this is very specialized. I, I don't. I, most cities are not focused on how crowded their buses, at least in America, because their buses aren't generally very crowded. But in other parts of the world, you know, especially in developing countries, right. there's lots of crowding on buses. But they could use your expertise in Israel, you know. I mean, I've, I've seen some really rough scenes when yeah, it comes so, to loading buses in Israel. So there's, there's great stuff now, which you know, I did all that manually. They now have, like, automatic passenger counters, which at the door, counts when a person comes in, or at least have a video that can, um, you know, automatically tag people's faces and know when they get on and off. That's really helpful, because then you can really tell the bus load at any point in the route how many seats there are. You can figure out how crowded it is. And if you see a route that's, let's say, in, in, in Jerusalem that's really packed in, maybe that's worth reducing the headway, having a bus come every five minutes versus every ten, right. and uh, make sure it's not so crowded. How do you prevent people from walking into the back door? That's almost impossible. Yeah, so I saw <laughs> So, So at least, at least in my experience in Bangladesh, they'd have a, they'd have a conductor at both. Oh, at the back? Very labor-intensive. A conductor at the front, conductor at the back. It was very labor-intensive. I'm not sure it's it's always possible in where places you know, people aren't getting paid a buck a day. Right. Um, but, you know, it worked out there. What did we fly in, JetBlue? All right, so I, I was I was unimpressed with it. I know we got no. I know we got to move on to the next guest, but <laughs> I was I was very I was very unimpressed by our JetBlue captain. I'll tell you why. Mm. He said we are going to what's the expression? You park at a gate. What does the plane do? It, it deplanes, it parks, whatever it does. We're going to stop at D five. That's Delta five. And I said, mm. how could a JetBlue guy mention a competitor's <laughs> name in, in how he's trying to designate? I mean, it's Atlanta, I guess. That's what I was thinking. It was a tip of the hat maybe to Atlanta because Delta, is, its hub is in Atlanta, right? Yeah, yeah. But don't you find that to be a very strange strategy on the part of the captain? <laughs> you should, should, another word, right? Like, I would think anything. <laughs> donut, donut five. Exactly. <laughs> donut five. It drove me nuts that he went ahead and did that. And you're the only one I can complain to about this. <laughs> Donnie Katz, Toco Hills, unique uh, job. Thank you so much for joining us My this pleasure. morning. And best regards to our friends at Delta. We do have friends at Delta, right? Of course we do. Donnie Katz. There we go. Uh, <laughs> There was too much turbulence, but on the JetBlue flight. Yeah, JetBlue had a little too much turbulence. Nothing Donnie can control, by the way. He is not uh, – can't believe we can't do a three-hour show with him. I have so many bus questions to ask him. <laughs> yeah, we should have him back. Next time we're in Atlanta, we have to invite him back. JM and the AM, we are presented this week by the American Committee for Shari Tzedek Medical Center in Jerusalem. The Chief Communications Officer for the American Committee is our wonderful friend. Somebody we had a chance to dine with last night and hear his expertise on a variety of issues. 
Really? Yeah, you brought us up to date on a lot of good politics. I appreciate it. <laughs> Supermarket. I don't even remember. <laughs> thank you for dinner, by the way. A pleasure. Are you kidding it was me? not necessary. We've made you. a commitment that every yeah. time all of us are in Atlanta together, we'll take yeah. you out to dinner. We made a commitment. Really? Yeah. It's every a, time we're in every Atlanta. Every time. I love Atlanta. Can we come back soon? Uh, we'll try, especially <laughs> if it means a good dinner. I Mayor was about Fer- to say. Mayor yeah. Fertig is here. And um, how are our friends at the American Committee for Charitetic Medical Center? Are they enjoying this week? Our friends at the American Committee for Charitetic Medical Center are Baruch Hashem. Uh, regards from all, especially from uh, Rachel Wolf, our CEO. Thank you, Rachel. Did I mention that Rachel has uh, has uh, familial um, uh, connections three here. times in a row? Now. I already mentioned yeah. three times in a row. Yeah. Uh, she's got family in Atlanta. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, it seems everybody has family in Atlanta. Frankly, that's even true. you have family I in do. Atlanta. I absolutely do. All right, so our best to the American Committee for Charitetic Medical Center in Jerusalem. Yeah, and, and the hospital's been in touch. They're uh, starting to gear up for uh, for our next visit there. Want to do something unique during that visit? Yeah, I'm not sure what. Why don't we do a paint fight? No, no, that would. Oh, anything unique the last time we yeah, that we're not going to do this. No, 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 I don't think we should do that. And Mayor Kay has left Atlanta. He's back in Brooklyn. Right. So all that talk so, is uh, is now. Uh, so the emergency operations center at the DeKalb County Police Department can go back down to just a normal level one. Correct. It's uh, everything's stable there now. Excellent, excellent. They haven't had to pay more more attention than usual to our uh, to our team. I was sitting in Starbucks yesterday morning uh, while you were at the Spicy Peach, and I was working and I was looking out the window and for some reason there were a whole bunch of fire department vehicles gone. Like, what has Mayor done now? <laughs> The worst that I should say the worst. The the only the only challenging thing that he insisted on doing yesterday was yeah. uh, was throw a little bit of a confetti party in oh. Spicy Peach. Okay. But I got to give Jody credit. She spent five minutes sweeping up, and that was the end of it. Like, <laughs> she you know, was okay. Yeah, with she was it. totally fine with it. She said, okay. Yeah, no problem. You could do this. <laughs> so, like I say, we didn't bring her a paint fight, so she was thankful. All right. Uh, what can you tell us about the? Uh, Goings-on at Shari Tzedek. The goings-on at Shari Tzedek. Uh, there's something exciting happening for people who are into their running and exercise. Oh, this is a good one. And uh, that is an opportunity to, com- opportunity to compete in the Jerusalem Marathon. If you are a runner and you are interested in running in the Jerusalem Marathon, um, we have some spots and we would love uh, we would love for you to participate. I don't, I don't know that... I'm not sure exactly how it works in terms of spots. I think that if you sign up with us that you're in, I'm pretty yeah, sure that's sure. the way that works. For sure. Um, but we, uh, we're, we're raising money for the hospital. We're partnered with Team Caleb, uh, which is, uh, of course, in memory of Caleb Meyer. Who, and an uh, unbelievable team. That team yeah. is growing constantly. Yeah, thank God. Um, so uh, we are definitely uh, looking for people to, uh, to uh, supplement our already growing group. And uh, it's an exciting opportunity. If you'd like to do that, um, it's please. It's March, right? Isn't it March? It's in March, yeah. Uh, please get in touch with uh, my colleague Sharon Goldwyn at our office. Uh, you can send her an email directly. Is really the best way to do this. And when you sign up, I believe, mm-hmm. correct me if I'm wrong, I mean, well, everything's taken care of, right? Once you raise the money that needs yeah. to be raised, they take care of the whole operation. Yeah, for yeah. You. Where a- to stay, all that stuff. And it's a Friday in Jerusalem. It's a cool day there. Yeah, and Sharon will give you all the details. So Sharon Goldwyn is the person to talk to her email. I'm going to give an email. Is sure. that okay? Yeah. Um, it's S Goldwyn, S-G-O-L-D-Y-N-W-Y-N-S-G-O-L-D-W-Y-N at A-C-S-Z. Dot org. That's American Committee for Shari Tzedek, ACSE.org. Once again, that's S. Goldwyn, S-G-O-L-D-W-Y-N, at ACSZ.org. And if you'd like to call her, I'll even give her phone number if that's easier for you. It's 212-764-8062, 212-764-8062. And that's to get information about uh, 
competing on behalf of Shari Tzedek and Team Caleb in the Jerusalem Marathon. You know, you remind me that we know Shari Tzedek's in Jerusalem. Everyone knows that. Right. But it's amazing how so much of the operation, so much of the volunteer effort is not just around the world. I'm going to give credit to the community here in the United States. That's Mm -hmm. why the American Committee is such an important entity. Uh, Here's another chance. Here's another chance for people who are outside of Israel to help raise money for such an important institution in Jerusalem, one that takes care of everybody, including all of our friends and neighbors in Jerusalem, and uh, to do this in a really fun way, to go to Jerusalem Marathon Mm -hmm. and participate and do the 10K or all the different options they have. Right. I was about to say, you don't have to run the full marathon. You could run 5K, you could run 10K, or you could do the whole thing. Right. Um, So everybody, do your best to sign up. And uh, again, a tip of the hat to the American Jewish community. Uh, for being such a big part of what Shari Tzedek is doing on a regular basis. I mean, you feel it all the time because you're dealing with people who are living in the U.S. who want to support the hospital. Correct. Want to and be there for and, the and it, it is really important. I mean, the hospital is, of, of course, the primary centrally located hospital in Jerusalem. It's a big deal. It's a level one trauma center. It's mm-hmm. very important. But the government gives at most, a minuscule amount of money to support the hospital. Yeah, nobody even it's, realizes It's that. all insurance payments, and anything capital, anything you know, growth-oriented, future-looking is all philanthropy. That's right. where everybody listening comes in. So everybody out there, whether it's the marathon, whether it's some other means, whether it's some other uh, event, um, you could be in touch with the American Committee for Shari Tzedek Medical Center in Jerusalem and really get involved and get your community involved. Um, and we are a good resource, always talking about the events, always talking about the different things that are coming up for the uh, uh, people in our community to support the American Committee and their amazing work. And when you're in Israel, which I guess uh, a lot of people will be next uh, around Pesach time, right? when you're in Israel, you are invited to come and tour Shari Tzedek. And there's always something new to see. There's always some part of the hospital that's either being rebuilt or completely b- being built from fr- from scratch. Correct. And you get an opportunity to really see some of the uh, latest and greatest when it comes to uh, technology and medical innovation in Israel. Yes, uh, there's all that exciting stuff. And if you really just like, uh, if you're an aficionado of construction projects and you like really deep <laughs> yeah. holes in the yeah, ground, you'll see there's a really, stuff. really, really deep hole in Stand the ground. Stand on top of the property and you'll <laughs> yeah, see plenty. That's right. <laughs> and that is, of course, uh, where uh, construction work has uh, begun for the uh, Cancer Radiotherapy Center and the Future Cancer Center, as well as more parking, which is a more, yeah. perhaps a, a more... Uh, routine need, but it's a real one, and that's uh, that's going into that space also. All right, I thank you, Mayor Furtick. Thank you, Nachum Siegel. And thank you to the American Committee for Shiretetic Medical Center in Jerusalem, who understand the importance of us hitting the road. And yes, soon, we're actually going to hit the road and end up in Shiretetic in one of their parking lots, <laughs> and then eventually in a beautiful broadcast location, no doubt, uh, as we'll have an opportunity to speak to some of the great people there. The more we learn about the personnel you have there, the easier it is for us to conduct those interviews and the more interesting they are because right. we get more and more familiar with their work. So we look forward to that I'll, very I'll much. I'll ask Uri and Razi to save your space right now. I'll, yeah, I, please. Yeah, I'll, I'll email I want to see now. the certificate. Otherwise, I don't show up. I want to see that that parking <laughs> permit's taken care of. <laughs> um, Thanks very much. A pleasure. Thank you. I want to thank Ellie Gray and Ellie Gray Photography on Facebook. Ellie Gray is taking care of all the photographic elements here at Beth Jacob and through our trip here in Atlanta. Thank you to Ellie Gray. Look him up, everybody. If you have an event in Atlanta, do what we did. Contact Ellie Gray and set him up to be the photographic uh, whiz for your event. Ellie Gray Photography, check it out on Facebook. And a big shout-out to Stanley Raskis. Stanley, who's uh, always tuned into JM in the AM, has pointed out that uh, his grandfather – 
uh, not the uh, the one that I'm related to, but on the other side of the family, uh, is responsible for one of the greatest uh, accomplishments in Atlanta Jewish history, and that's the Hashkacha on Coca-Cola. And uh, he wanted to make sure we point that out, and he's right. That is something that we take great pride in, that, uh, that, that there were rabbis early on that were uh, involved in the Coca-Cola process. And um, a, a big thank you to Stanley for tuning in and for the great pride he takes in Atlanta. And uh, we will get into that Coca-Cola story, I'm sure, the next time he's on the air with us at JM and the AM. And I look forward to it. we got to invite him. we got to invite him one morning to our dad's house studio, have him in and take care of all the stories at once. It'll be uh, so intriguing for our audience. More coming up. It's Ohad at JM in the AM.
a.m. in the a.m. You may recall that Ohad was the star of uh, Kosher Halftime Show 2018 and Kosher Halftime Show 2019, which we filmed here in Atlanta under the direction of Mayor Kay and sponsored by our friends at the Rothenberg Law Firm, being made available this coming Sunday during the first half of the Patriots-Rams Super Bowl, which is taking place in Atlanta. The whole world is uh, is looking at Atlanta this week because of the big NFL game. We're in Atlanta this week to concentrate on the Jewish communities of Atlanta and the Jewish South. And Mrs. Estelle Feldman is with us live via telephone from Israel. She is uh, Rabbi Emanuel Feldman's Rebetzin and certainly experienced some amazing years here in Atlanta, Georgia. Mrs. Feldman, welcome to JM in the AM. Thank you very much. It's nice to greet our Atlanta family and friends uh, by way of Yerushalayim, <laughs> and uh, we're happy to talk to you. It sounds very interesting. I appreciate that very much. We had an opportunity to speak to your wonderful son, the uh, spiritual leader of the congregation, Rabbi Elon Feldman, earlier in this show. Can you give us what you remember about the early days of Beth Jacob and the early days of this uh, ever-growing Atlanta Jewish community? Uh, yes, well, I can only tell you about the early days when we uh, came there in 1952. Uh, we were married in 1952 in November. My husband had started with Atlanta, uh, the previous uh, Rosh Hashanah, uh, and then brought me there when, when we were married. Uh, uh, we came down there. Now, what we had in Atlanta was a very, very small congregation at the time. There was uh, uh, several rather older, much older uh, members who had come, uh, uh, immigrated to America many years before from Europe and had raised their young people in Atlanta who became professionals, doctors, lawyers, and uh, speedily went out to other congregations because uh, that wasn't modern enough, what what they had, and their parents weren't modern enough. So what we came to was a very sort of a almost desolate little group of older people, uh, nobody much younger, and uh, but they they had tried, uh, they were trying to sort of revive themselves, uh, had taken on a young rabbi, and then a young rebbeton uh, came with him. And so we had, we had work cut out for us. What we really wanted to do was just try to exist from day to day. I, I was brought up in, in the old borough park in the, of the 30s, which was before... Hasidim and before Hasidism and young Israel was the most from top of of the line and uh, when I, where I grew up and of course Atlanta was entirely strange. The South was segregated then, and that was a that was a factor that was very difficult for a person who grew up in uh, liberal New York at the time. Liberal New York was like medium middle, you know, not not crazy liberal. Right. And so this was very difficult to put up with also. So there were a lot of a lot of new things to put up with when we came. Um you were here as um you know, as the community grew in the sixties and seventies and eighties and nineties and I pointed out that I became familiar with the community during the tenure that uh, that you know your husband and yourself were here in the leadership of the community, it is remarkable what has happened since then, and not not in any way minimizing your efforts. It was incredible that uh, no, of course, but it, it it's just remarkable yeah. what what the what the city has become both numbers wise and in terms of spirit in 2019. Well, it was it was a growing 
a city. Uh, uh, the city itself was a little bit better than the rest of the segregated South. They always called themselves a city too busy to hate, and they had a better record as far as uh, the South was concerned. And it was a growing city, and of course, and our shoals sort of grew with it. Uh, uh, it was very, very, very slow growth. Uh, there were uh, younger people started coming because it was a younger rabbi, and uh, it was what I call each one teach one. We had like one set of Shomer Shabbos, a, a couple that became Shomer Shabbos, and they were such a marvelous example to others, and they hosted others that they, uh, as I say, each one teach one. They just turned around and taught somebody else. Someone else came in and then turned around and brought someone else. It was a very slow growth, but our show did grow beautifully, Berkshen. Uh, a little, little bit by little, even though the other congregations around us had turned to conservatism uh, as we came, it was supposedly the wave of the future. So we were, we were sort of uh, pushing against a whole lot of factors, and nevertheless, the show just grew very slowly until Baruch Hashem, you know, very slowly we started a day school, then a high school, this all happened very, very gradually, nothing ever happens overnight. But Baruch Hashem, we are Zohar to see what the community has become ever since. We are if Hashem wanted it to happen, that's what we figured out. <laughs> Hashem wanted that to happen, and that is what happened. Well, you were certainly the shlichim. Mrs. Estelle Feldman is with us, the rabbit's in here for so many years. Uh, we pointed out earlier that uh, if you look at all these schools, the day schools, the kolel, the yeshivas, even other congregations that are here in town, it all emanated from this uh, in- incredible congregation here at Beth Jacob. And so you saw... You saw the growth not only in terms of the community size, but you saw the growth in institutions, how day schools and yeshivas and and, and so many different um, uh, organizations sprouted forth during your tenure here, all emanating from the work that that you and your husband had done uh, over all the years here at Beth Jacob. Well, as I say, it had a lot to do with the uh, uh, people that came to our shul and became Shomer Shabbos and influenced others. I mean, two people couldn't possibly do this themselves. Right. And uh, it, it was just the influence of the uh, young people that had influence on their friends and brought in other people and slowly uh, made an impression. And then, as I say, Hashem wanted it to happen. And as we started one school after another, very slowly, because there was a lot of resistance at first to even the first day school. Uh, nobody imagine. had ever heard of anything like that then. That was re- it was resistance, but but you know people slowly got used to these things and then uh, learned from each other. So uh, as I say, the community grew learning from each other, which was the biggest bracha of all. And we had lovely, lovely people. We had lovely southern people to begin with, <laughs> with their beautiful manners and their beautiful mannerisms. So we were very lucky to be found in a place like that. You know, you know, even though it was so far, it was so far from home and good old Borough Park. But uh, <laughs> we—it's been a while was, since uh, people have been speaking so fondly about Borough Park on these airwaves. If you saw it, oh to, yes, well, I grew up in the nice old Borough Park, and the you know, with my my family around me, my cousins. Before the hustle and, and bustle of, of sudden, today, all huh? of a sudden we're thrust into the deep south. It was quite a change, but I look back with nostalgia because Borough Park was really beautiful and wonderful and, and nurturing, even though it was half Italian and half Jewish. Right. It wasn't all Borough Park the way it is now. You know, but, we, uh, it was something to look back to and, and feel good about. We're pointing out this week, and one of the reasons we're here, frankly, is because Atlanta is not just 
a community in and of itself anymore. We look at it as the capital of the Jewish South. Do you remember uh, other communities uh, two, three, four, five hours from here, you know, uh, from in the radius of Atlanta uh, growing at that time? Uh, some of them, uh, you know, uh, really picking well, up. Well, there, there already was a wonderful Jewish community in Memphis that was right. quite a few hours away, Memphis, Tennessee. They already had a very well-built, very well-founded Jewish community in Memphis. And there was a wonderful community in Savannah, which had also been a very old community from way back, uh, also an Orthodox community. Charleston had a community also, uh, but uh, they, they, they were all old, established communities that were still maintaining. Uh, they weren't growing the same way as Atlanta. I think the city of Atlanta and its growth had a lot to do with how our our congregation grew. Uh, but th- those are all very well-founded communities that are, that are still there today. Yeah. Uh, but we did have in the vicinity, we did have, you know, within not exactly a stone's throw. Atlanta was pretty isolated right where, where it is. And it's had a major influence on a lot of communities and cities around the region, that's for sure. Uh, and it's well, Baruch Hashem, we're grateful that Hashem has allowed us to see it, and has, I always say, it has allowed us to come back to Atlanta and, and experience all our friends at our congregation every now and then. So we're very grateful to the Rabota Shalom for all the blessings. I'm going to ask you a special favor, not only to send regards to your wonderful husband, but let him know that as a son of a rabbi, I appreciate so many of the stories that he has published about being a rabbi of a long-time congregation. So please send him our best. Oh, yes. Yeah, that that was in his uh, book, Tales Out of Shoal. <laughs> that was, uh, you know, the story of our beginnings and the story of how the shoal grew. And, uh, yeah, there are a lot of little stories, and a lot of stories he left out. <laughs> There's no question <laughs> about that. That he couldn't put in. As the son of a rabbi, you would appreciate that. <laughs> you could say that again. <laughs> <laughs> he also changed a lot of identities, too, you know. Just, but anyway, that was, that was an interesting experience as well. Thank you. Know, you. I certainly will. I will relay it to him. Thank you so much for joining us, and thank you for welcoming us to Atlanta all the way from Jerusalem. Oh, well, I'm so happy to be able to do that. It's an extra privilege. <laughs> much so enjoy and have Hatzlacha with everything that you do there. I'm, I know you've, you've accomplished a lot, and you are accomplishing a lot, so keep it up. Amen. Thank you so much. There she is, Robinson Esther Feldman, Robinson Estelle Feldman. Um, our, she and her husband, of course, are my Emmanuel Feldman such important uh, pillars of this community of Atlanta, Georgia. And now I am told we're going to go to, where are we going? We're going to go to our friend Yoni over here who has a a song that is being presented. Any details we have here? This is a selection from Yonasan Gavant. Is that pronounced properly? Gavant. Yonasan Gavant. Well, either French or... Or very fancy old European. Yonasan uh, Gavant has a song called uh, Vihiratzon, and we have it for you here. He is a product of the Atlanta Jewish community, and we have it in a world debut at JM in the AM. <laughs> Shemelo, Kay, Nuve, Lo, Kay, Abo, Zeno, Shet, 
Son Gavant uh, with a song that we've debuted here, world debut at JMDM called Vihi Ratzon. He is the cantor here for the Yom Narayim for the High Holidays at Congregation Beth Jacob. And more accurately, he's a product not only of Atlanta, but of Memphis and Baltimore as well. So we say a big shout out to him and thank him for being here this morning and visiting us at JM. In the AM. 17 minutes after the hour, hour number three of uh, day number three of our Atlanta adventure. Thank you to the American Committee for Charitetic Medical Center in Jerusalem. Thank you to our friends at um, the Orthodox Union for making this possible. 
as the entire community or the entire country is focused on Atlanta because apparently there's a football game this Sunday. That's what they're telling us. A game between Boston and Los Angeles. What do you think of that? Boston and L.A. are going at it this, this Sunday. Um, the only good thing about this Sunday, there's going to be a kosher halftime show for the sixth consecutive year. Uh, this time, Mayor Kay is again directing the kosher halftime show with us. We filmed it here in Atlanta. There'll be a lot of Atlanta that you're going to see in the kosher halftime show. Um, is this who I think it is? This is my longtime, old-time friend. It is. Who I saw in Atlanta 25 years ago, maybe? I'm still here. This is Rabbi Dave? Silverman. Yeah, I know it's Rabbi Dave Silverman, but to us, he's Rabbi Dave. Yes. <laughs> Rabbi David Silverman is the dean of the Atlanta Colel. And the last time I saw him, I don't know, was there an Atlanta Colel last time I saw you? Was there yeah. one? There was one 25 yes. years ago already? 31 years. 31 years it's already been. And how long have you been associated with it? From the beginning? 31, from the beginning. From the beginning. Um, and this kollel, as Ray Feldman told us earlier, is actually part of this congregation, correct? Yes, proudly. And, and what happens at the Atlanta kollel, aside from the daily Torah study? What's the schedule there? How does the kollel work here in the city of Atlanta? In the um, last six years, we've split responsibilities. There's always been an outreach component. In the morning, there was learning. In the afternoon and evening, people did outreach in the community, rabbis and rebbitsons. And um, more recently, in the last five, six years, we added in a component of guys, rabbis, of Rechem that learn morning, afternoon, and then teach in the community at night. Wow, and that's the way to do it, right? Because if they're not doing the outreach, I mean, we, we admire the Torah study, you know. It's essential. And we, and we certainly acknowledge it. But you would also think that, that, not that it's a failure, but you would think that the potential of the Kolo is not being realized with not doing that whole outreach component. It definitely, each fuels the other. Right. So the learning is like the... <clears throat> nuclear reactor, the generator, and that with that energy we go out to inspire the rest of the world. It's proved beneficial because a lot of the support comes from the people that we've touched in terms of Kirov, in terms of outreach. And it's not just they who are benefiting from all of this. You could explain to us why the Kolel is such an important element in the in, in e, for even those families who are already part of Jewish ritual and are part of the Jewish community. What does the kolel do in terms of spirit for the community? That's a tremendous component of giving a chizik to the Frum community to see the success, to engage in families, have people over. This community has been a tremendous incubator for spiritual growth because the, the families themselves are very open to having guests, people that don't know about Shabbos, people that are driving to get there on Shabbos, coming to shul. There's been a beginner service here for 30 years. So these are all things that have enabled people to sort of switch from the world that they're in into a more spiritual expression. You originally from Atlanta? L.A. Oh, you originally from L.A.? Yes. When did you get here? I'm a Rams fan. Oh, thank God we found one. We found one Rams fan in this town. It's unbelievable. And how is it possible, explain to me, that and I know the colo is an important topic, but I must get this off my chest. How is it possible that a town that was completely humiliated by a team from Boston only has Brady jerseys running around there the entire week? It just doesn't make any sense. They're all carpetbaggers. They don't live here. I guess. It makes no sense. I finally found the Rams fan. You and the one guy wearing a Dodgers hat downtown that I noticed the other day. That's about it. So you're from L.A. and got to Atlanta when? I came to Atlanta in 1987 through Near Yisrael. It was in right. Near Yisrael. Because there's always been a big Near Yisrael-Atlanta connection, right? Uh, the Rav. The right. Rav, his father, Rabbi Emanuel Feldman, is a Near Yisrael product. Right. So we've always had that connection. That's really Rabbi Weinberg, Zichano Levrocha, right. was the one who made the connection from 
Nair Yisrael to here for the Kolel, and that's how we ended up here. All right, um, and it's been, uh, I mean, this has been a, a wonderful component for the community, the spirit that it gives those who are involved in the community already, and of course the outreach that you right. described, uh, which is so essential. How large is the Atlantic Kolel now? It's, we started with three, uh, three families. Yeah. And now we're 16, Kanayin Haru. Yeah, and I would bet more and more people want to come to the Atlanta one, right? I, I mean, there's <laughs> cities in the U.S. doing well with Kolels. Baruch but Hashem. I'm sure this one's a big attraction. Baruch Hashem. Very positive. Easy to raise your kids, right? Every type of school you want phenomenal. is here at this point. Phenomenal. It's been phenomenal. Right. All the Jewish amenities that you craved when you first got here in Atlanta. How many kosher <laughs> restaurants were there when you got here? Were there uh, any in the 70s? There was one. There was one. Like a dairy restaurant? Yeah. It and was, that was it. Yeah, it was really a deli. Is most oh. pretty much what it was. And what else do you remember from those days that is, is so different today? Uh, was there any? Was there an Arab already in town at that? There point? was not an Arab. We used to jokingly say Rabbi Emanuel Feldman didn't want an Arab, have an Arab because if he did, people would think that they could cook on Shabbos. <laughs> So it didn't have any. So once people became educated, then they brought the air. Then they brought the air. <laughs> then there were families that needed to um, be able to bring their strollers right. and children yeah, to shul, and it just changed the dynamic tremendously. So there was plenty missing, quote unquote, in those days. Yeah. Although it was very quaint and wonderful, very quaint, and yes. a great community, right? Yeah, Baruch Hashem. And always been in in the Toko Hills area. I mean, this is where the. I mean, there are others. There are other neighborhoods in Atlanta that have Jewish communities. Yes, but this has always been the one. That's been, I don't know, the fastest growing, the one that's attracted the most people. It's the oldest. This is really right. the shortest. This shul was actually, the, the, it was once a time, 30 years ago, it was only one Orthodox shul. This was it. Right. Chabad started in another part of town, Sandy Springs, and one of the Kolal Yungalites started in Dunwoody, Rabbi Benjamin Freeman. He started a shul there. That's also a beautiful congregation of 120 families. Unbelievable. Do you, you know, we've been emphasizing this week, speaking with uh, Rabbi David Silverman, who is the dean of the Atlantic Kolel. Um, we've been speaking this week. <laughs> Good to see you, too. <laughs> and best regards, by the way, from all the seagulls who miss you terribly. Thank you. Thank you. Whenever they talk, about, whenever they talk about Atlanta, they're always talking about you. Your brother lived across the street. <laughs> what was the street? Uh, Holly Lane. He used right. to jokingly call it Holy Lane. There was a lot of rabbis <laughs> there. So <laughs> we've been emphasizing this week how just like Toko Hills is the capital of Atlanta's Jewish world, <laughs> Atlanta is really a capital of the Jewish South. And you've seen not only Atlanta grow by leaps and bounds and get to this point, which is so amazing in 2019, you've seen so many of the surrounding states establish and in many cases reignite Jewish communities and and grow and, you know, and some of them may be forming their own coal limit this yes. point. Yes, yeah, actually Jacksonville, which is about right. five hours from here, one of our... <clears throat> We've helped out the rabbis there in conversations. They just started a kol this year. One of our um, one of the kol rabbis was a guest of honor, a, rest, a scholar in residence, for their first um, holiday program, and uh, it's been exciting to see Charlotte. Your brother was actually sure. very, involved very involved in Charlotte, and we spoke to Rabbi Oppenheim this morning on the Yeah, program. right. So he's, that's a beautiful. You know, he comes here often to get chizik from Rabbi Feldman and from the kol. It's really beautiful. There's so much going on. It's Baruch just remarkable. Hashem. I'll tell you, people wouldn't believe it. Uh, pioneers. Uh, in especially in old Jewish towns in this region of the country who saw their communities unfortunately really dwindle yes. would be shocked to see yeah. what's happening at this point. You're correct. It's really remarkable. Uh, room for more families in the Kolo? That's it. You're tapped out at 16. We're, we're actually, every three, four years, we've been changing the Avrechim, the Yungalite that learn for full time. So we're just about to switch. If there's anybody out there yeah. that's interested, they can get in touch. 
Oh, gosh, I'm telling you, you're going to be deluged. <laughs> Everyone wants to be in Atlanta, it seems. This is the place. For right now, because we got the Super Bowl. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's not just for this week, Rabbi. <laughs> it seems Atlanta's a big attraction all year round. Uh, Rabbi David Silverman, Atlanta Colel Dean, thank you so much for being here Honor today. a pleasure. Wonderful thank to reunite with wonderful you Wonderful to be with you. Good to see you. Okay. Uh, more wonderful friends coming up here in Atlanta, Georgia, as we continue at JM and the AM. We're going to a... Uh, we're going to go to a selection, as I remind everybody, at the Kosher Halftime Show, which was filmed here in Atlanta uh, over the last couple of days. It's going to be presented this coming Sunday during the first half of the big game, the game where we hope the New England Patriots go down to the Los Angeles Rams. We are openly, uh, yeah, we are openly hoping that that's what happens. We'll see if, in fact, that's what uh, comes to fruition. In any case, make sure to be tuned in as the Kosher Halftime Show is presented by the Rothenberg Law Firm, and we release it to the public this coming Sunday. More coming up. It's Miami, believe it or not, here at JMNAM.
right, that's Miami here at JM in the AM. Speaking of Florida, we're about to have some guests on from uh, another area of Florida in just a moment. want to remind everybody we have amazing programming for you all day long. Bite Size with Yoni Pollock is coming up. It's an encore presentation between 9 and 11 this morning right here at the Nahum Siegel Network. At 11 a.m., it's a live lunch. Whether it will be done live in Israel or live from here is yet to be determined. I think my staff is... Uh, is itching to do it from here, so we'll see if that'll happen. That'll start at 11 a.m. Eastern Time. It's, again, the live lunch from 11 until 1. And then that's it for our live presentations today, right? 1 o'clock, that'll be it. Uh, <coughs> just confirming. I need to know what to, pre- what to um, prepare myself for. Um, so that's all coming up. Keep it here at the Nahum Single Network all day long. Well, we now get to go um, uh, virtually and, uh, and through our... <coughs> And through our guest list here uh, in our mobile studio at Beth Jacobs Synagogue in um, in Atlanta, Georgia, to Jacksonville, Florida. Jacksonville, Florida, and Rabbi Yaakov Fish, who is the rabbi of the Eights Chaim Synagogue in Jacksonville. Rabbi Fish, welcome to JM in the AM. Thank you so much for having me. It's an honor to be with you. I appreciate that. And you know what? We have a special guest with us sitting right next to me, and that's Racheli Fish. You know her, right? Yeah, I've seen her from time to time. <laughs> Racheli was born in Yerushalayim, lived there for a couple of years, and then went to Jacksonville, Florida uh, with her parents, uh, went to a Torah Academy, I assume in Jacksonville, right? Yes. Through eighth grade. So one thing we've learned, they have a day school down there in Jacksonville. At that time, though, high school, so she went to Atlanta, to attend the Tamima High School, and she's currently a senior here. How are things going at Tamima High School? Things are really great. I do you, really do. You like the city of Atlanta? Yeah. Friendly community. Yes. They've definitely. been nice to you here. Yeah. How does it compare to Jacksonville? Um, obviously, I have a soft spot <laughs> for Jacksonville, but um, I really enjoy the southern feel that's both here and in Jacksonville. Well, Baruch Hashem. Uh, Rabbi Fish, all we hear is wonderful things, how your community continues to grow. Tell us about your first experiences when you got to Jacksonville and how things are today. Uh, so it was, uh, it was the, we've, we've grown a lot. It's, this is our 15th year here in Jacksonville, wow. and uh, originally came from uh, Yerushalayim. Uh, we were in Kolo at the time, and uh, and we were just looking for an opportunity to uh, to get established and help out a community. And uh, thank God our community has really uh, <clears throat> taken uh, many uh, steps in growth in terms of Torah and uh, establishing our Kahila. So we're very proud of our community. And uh, even though it's uh, grown uh, in many different areas, we still have like a warm, warm feel, and uh, everybody really counts here, and uh, people feel like they can contribute, and uh, really the, uh, the, the our small community is continuing to flourish, so we're very proud of our small community. How long does it take to drive from Jacksonville to Atlanta? Well, it depends who's driving, <laughs> but, but uh, it's, it's about uh, it's about a five-and-a-half-hour drive. And uh, tell us about the uh, infrastructure of the community in addition to your congregation. Uh, obviously, there's a day school. We know that your daughter went there. Uh, tell us about the day school and how it's doing and if there are plans for possible expansions or growth in the world of education down in Jacksonville. Sure, sure. So uh, we have our, our shul here, of course, Abe Chaim, and uh, 
it's very uh, you know, robust in terms of its programming, and uh, <clears throat> we have an adult, uh, adult and children uh, outreach programs as well, uh, with many different uh, uh, Shabbatonim throughout the year. We're very affiliated with NCSY, and we have a great partnership with the OU, and they've been very helpful to us. And uh, you know, we we very much appreciate uh, that partnership that we have with them. And our uh, day school is called the Torah Academy of Jackson. We began in 2003 with five students, hmm. and that's when we, we came over, and uh, now we have about 70 students. And we're affiliated with Tarmasara, and I believe you may know who uh, Rabbi Nate Siegel is, uh, sure. because he's been uh, very uh, instrumental in our success. And, uh, you know, we... Uh, you know, we really want to continue growing upon where we reach. So we started uh, uh, a very small uh, high school uh, last year, and it's called the Jacksonville Torah High School, and it started uh, with five girls. And uh, we want to continue to grow upon that, and hopefully our next step is thinking of uh, a platform for a boys' high school. So uh, we're continuing to develop that, and uh, hopefully, uh, you know, the sky's the limit. But we, we definitely have the, uh, you know, the ingredients there to make it happen. Is it difficult both for the day school and, the, and, and now with the growth of the high schools, please God, is it difficult to find the personnel who are willing to come down and be part of the community and, you know, those educators that are, that are looking to you know to work in Jewish education, but they're not sure exactly where they want to be. Is it difficult to find the right people to come to Jacksonville? Yeah, it's a great question. Uh, yeah, uh, it's definitely a challenge, uh, you know, identifying the right personnel. But you know, you know, there's always some people that like believe in in the dream, and uh, we're looking for people that. Uh, believe in, you know, in the dream of helping a community start up, and they're not, I don't believe there's too many places like that left, you know, there's a lot of built-up communities with, with Beis Yaakovs, Yeshivas, uh, you know, built-up infrastructures, you know, we have, we have an opportunity here where anybody that joins our team is able to contribute and, uh, really build up a, a infrastructure of a kahila, what people were doing in different larger cities like in the 1950s and 1960s, and we're doing that in Jacksonville in 2019. So it's it's really a, a, an amazing opportunity. We wake up every morning, and myself and our team and, and even lay people, we like, what can we do to help build this community? And it's, it's a great feeling to be a part of. It gives us meaning and purpose, and and uh, anybody that joins our team, you know, really feels that sense of purpose. And I would guess an educator who uh, wants to come down and, and not just hone their skills, um, but they have an opportunity to change the lives of kids, obviously, in their classroom. But in addition to that, to change the lives of the kids' families because it goes way beyond just the education. Uh, it, it, it goes way beyond just being a teacher in a school. You're also a member of the community and having a direct effect on those who will help change their families, and those are the, you know, the Jewish boys and girls that are in the day school. Yeah, no question, no question. We we've seen this organic effect, yep. uh, you know, by having uh, kids enroll in the school and having that uh, that, that that flavor of, of of the tradition of the, the Yiddishkeit like seep throughout the uh, the family. And, uh, you know, we've seen that through both through our day school. We have a wonderful uh, day school uh, headed by Rabbi Houtman, our Torah Academy of Jacksonville. And uh, we, uh, you know, we see the, the fruits of, uh, you know, of all that labor in, in the families that have gone through the Torah Academy in the last 15 years. But it's also through the NCSY. You know, we, we have a great relationship with NCSY, and that's had a great impact on families. And, you know, we've partnered with the JWRP as well. 
you know, that has great impact. So we're trying to like partner with as however many, you know, organizations that we can to whatever works and whatever uh, we can do to help, uh, you know, help us bring more Yiddishkeit to the city. And uh, there's also, besides that, besides the spirituality, there's a great quality of life here. You know, there's, uh, you can you purchase a home for, you know... Uh, Say it, go ahead. Say it, say know. the number for all of us New Yorkers. Tell us the number. <laughs> okay, not to make everyone too jealous, but you can purchase like a four-bedroom home here for about like $250,000 oh, with a swimming pool oh, and, uh, you know, a nice backyard and, uh, you know, commutes. You can commute to your work. Like in Jacksonville, like if you're, if, if there's like a 10-minute commute to work, that gets on the traffic uh, radio station. They say like there's going to be a five, 10-minute uh, commute to work. You know, uh, and uh, there's, like a, there's a really nice quality of life here. Like, the neighborhood look, looks really nice. There's a lot of parks. Like, the stress level is, is uh, you know, there's not to say there's no stress. There's stress everywhere, but it's it's minimal compared to the larger cities. Pretty you know, pretty less. even keel, huh? Uh, Ruff- yeah, pe- yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I'm sorry. Pretty even keel. Racheli, uh, did Rabbi Fish do a good job in describing the city of Jacksonville to our listeners, do you think? Definitely. Yeah, he hit all the right points. Yes. Uh, and growing up there, you could say, was a positive experience, Baruch Hashem. Yeah, definitely very positive. Um, like he said, when there's not so many from people and you're one of them, you feel like you make an impact and you matter and you're not just another number. You, you're really important. Are there other Jacksonville people in Tamima High School or you're the one? I'm the one. How many uh, <laughs> students are there in Tamima High School? There's about 60. And do you meet girls from other parts of this country, or are they all from Atlanta? Um, the majority are from Atlanta. There's about three or four borders. Oh, very year. nice. And yeah. you're one of them. Yep. And you're enjoying this city. Yeah. So you like both Jacksonville and Atlanta. Yes. Rabbi Fish, did you do a good job uh, lauding both cities? <laughs> I, I believe so. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us. Hope to see you down in Jacksonville one of these days, Rabbi Yaakov Fish. All right, thank you for the opportunity. Appreciate a pleasure. It. Continued Hatzlacha at the Eitz Chaim Synagogue. And my thanks to Racheli Fish for joining us from Tamima High School as we continue here on a, um, what is today? Wednesday morning at JM in the AM. Rabbi Yitzchak Tendler. Rabbi Yitz Tendler is executive director of the Beth Jacob Synagogue where we are situated. Our makeshift mobile studio is here in the beautiful lobby of the Beth Jacob Congregation, Beth Jacob Synagogue. He is leading many community initiatives, which we will discuss. Um, and uh, and we will talk about some of the things that he has been involved with during his tenure here at Beth Jacob. Rabbi Tendler, welcome to JM in the AM. Thank you. Good morning. First Good of you. all, mazel tov to you. The last time we were here, uh, we weren't able to meet because uh, Thank you. you found yourself at the hospital, Baruch Hashem, for a good reason. This is true. November 28th, you came. Uh, unfortunately, we couldn't meet because uh, we had a new baby girl. We named her Meira Hana. Mazal She's tov. wonderful. Thank you. Baruch Hashem. How many years have you been with uh, Beth Jacob? I've been here for uh, three years now. And um, the job of the executive director, I know, is is one to help actually run the synagogue and the congregation. But I, based on your reputation... You have found yourself going beyond that, really getting involved in community-wide activities. Sure. Obviously, number one priority is uh, is Beth Jacob and, and uh, being as creative as possible and innovative and moving the ball forward. But, of course, uh, the broader community, you've heard so much about um, all the various initiatives that take place, and, and playing some role in that has been uh, incredibly gratifying. We're on Facebook Live now, right? 
Oh, wow. I'm going to ask Facebook.com slash Nahum Siegel Network. Maybe Yoni could actually take the camera over there for a moment because there are 18 slots in your wall, each one dedicated to either another community event or school activity that's ongoing. And I think that's, you know, basically to the envy of every congregation in this country to have programming like that. Tell me what it's like to upkeep that type of schedule. Oh, wow. So uh, you're absolutely correct. And we make it a priority to have – a best possible programming. We're constantly in touch with other shoals around the country, partially through the OU, which I know uh, is playing a significant role here, getting ideas from them, fi- identifying the best possible speakers to uh, to help enhance our programming. Uh, just recently, we actually partnered two weeks ago with the OU Women's Division, um, and we hosted Sivan Rahav Meir, who's a well-known Israeli journalist. So these kinds of speakers who are typically found only in, in larger Jewish communities that we make it a, a, our business to bring the best possible uh, to Atlanta. So there's a lot of planning. At any given point, we're planning three, four, five months in advance, if not more sometimes. So um, as you see, uh, there's educational, social, um, all kinds of uh, offerings. Was your schedule or was your planning uh, altered at all by the big game that's happening Sunday in Atlanta? Are you, are you like us, have been ignoring that and have been focused on the Jewish community of Atlanta? No, it is altered a little <laughs> bit. This, this weekend, we actually have Dr. David Pelkowitz coming. And so to talk about football, to talk, <laughs> I don't know if that's his wheel <laughs> wheelhouse, but uh, Dr. Pelkowitz um, will be will be here speaking. But obviously, we didn't we had to make sure not to time anything that comes even close <laughs> to the big game. So he'll be he'll, his keynote address will be Sunday morning, whereas under normal circumstances, we probably would have pushed it later. In the All day. right, yeah. so you're, you're you're smart in your programming to yeah. say the least. Rabbi Tendler is here, executive director of Beth Jacob. All right, we for our first encounter where your name first became familiar to, to us was the Cookies for Israel project. And that was some type of record-breaking effort, right? Yes. Just remind my audience about that. Absolutely. So in June of this year, we uh, here in uh, Beth Jacob, actually right behind me, there's a large social hall. It's 6,000 square feet. We broke a Guinness World Record. A little bit of a background here. Um, the, on the Guinness, uh, in the Guinness Record books, there's a record for the world's largest cookie flag mosaic, which uh, and basically entails taking many tens of thousands of cookies of varying colors and assembling a national flag. Now, the record holder up until this past June was actually Pakistan. Mm. Um, Pakistan built a, uh, a, I believe it was 2,500 square foot um, uh, cookie uh, flag out of uh, many, many cookies. And, um, you know, I stumbled across this record and I said, there's no reason that the state of Israel celebrating its 70th year can't, uh, can't, can't be Pakistan, which on a side, side note, Pakistan does not allow um, Israeli passport holders into their country. So there's a little bit of a so nice So we co- have to get them out of the number one yes, position. Yes, exactly. And we were successful on uh, June 3rd of this year. We, um, we, uh, Built an Israeli uh, an Israeli flag made out of 117,000 cookies, wow. uh, blue and white cookies. Wow. Yeah, it was a mind-boggling uh, logistical undertaking. And there's videos of the whole thing, right? There's videos of the whole thing. We're actually probably within the next two days going to release like the formal final video, um, which includes the actually Yonason Gavant singing on it. Um, yeah, he's nice. here, but um, and we and, and Kiyahu, uh, Rabbi Jake, and nice. um, and so we brought people from all around the community together. Uh, the Israeli Consul General was here, and and many others. I'm a- actually have here with me the um, the Guinness <laughs> the uh, certificate, Guinness which was not as easy as you'd imagine. Um, on, on site at the actual uh, record breaking, we had a Guinness judge um, who certified the record, but the record was in the name of the Atlanta Jewish community, and we wanted the state of Israel to be listed. And so Guinness Guinness would only uh, Guinness would only allow us to do that if. Only one person can potentially could possibly write a letter that would allow them to list the state of Israel as the record holder. And that is that is Ambassador Ron Dermer in Washington, 
And uh, we tried going through the Israeli foreign ministry, hit a hit a brick wall, and then uh, figured out some other ways uh, in classic Israeli style, <laughs> pulling strings. And Ron Dermer wrote us a phenomenal letter, um, and uh, and uh, it was really I I could show you a copy of it. It was great, and and because of that, now in the Guinness records, the state of Israel beat Pakistan and holds the record for the world's largest cookie flag mosaic. Well, congratulations. Thank Most you. importantly, yes, I would guess is that it brought the whole community together. Yes, it brought the entire community together, um, really all streams of the community. We also had a parallel fundraiser where we allowed people around the world to buy right. a cookie. We talked about that. And we yeah, chose right. three charities in Israel. And, um, and for the, and so the total campaign raised over $100,000. Uh, most of that came from local, a uh, small group of local individuals who underwrote the entire cost of the project. But we were able to send tens of thousands of dollars to Israel to uh, charities there as well. Speaking to Rabbi Yitz Tendler, we're here in Atlanta. Uh, what's a Shabbat block party? Shabbat block party. Great question. Thanks. Uh, <laughs> thanks for asking. So, so uh, the annual uh, Shabbos project, which is an international effort, as you know, to uh, celebrate Shabbos around the world. So the way uh, we, one of the ways we do it here in Atlanta is uh, this year was the fourth year that we brought um, the entire Toco Hills community, our entire community together. And right here in the front parking lot of Beth Jacob, we cleared out all the cars and we have a free public Shabbos lunch for 800 people. On Shabbos morning. On Shabbos morning, it's the largest that goes on anywhere in the world on uh, Shabbos morning of the of the Shabbos I mean, project. I mean, th- I could think of a few challenges you face in trying to do that. Oh yeah, but a lot worked, of logistics. But, but it went it. well. It goes, yeah, it's great. Every year, it's a highlight. It's one of those things that bring that you know we talk about Hurricane Irma and all these other community efforts. Right. The, those are only possible through these touchstones throughout the year mm-hmm. when we find these these easy these events that that provide common ground to come together and and build that that kind of trust and relationship. This upcoming fall season, I'm assuming you'll do it again. Uh, of course. number Yeah, fifth year. Very cool. You mentioned Hurricane Irma, <laughs> and you're the first person to give credit to uh, all the congregations that participated, yourselves, the Young Israel, Toko Hills, everybody who really stepped up. It is one of the uh, reasons, I, I, I can almost say it's one of the reasons we're here, because it really propelled Atlanta to the forefront in terms of you know Jewish news in the United States, you know we we heard about how incredible a community it is. We had been familiar with Atlanta beforehand, but that they were able to open up their arms in their homes in that type of situation was simply remarkable. Did it take you by surprise that this would be such a welcoming community for that episode? That's a great question. So the truth is that I don't know if anybody touched on this yet, but we had a bit of a trial run the previous year. I believe it was Hurricane Matthew, if I'm not mistaken, yeah. Andrew Matthew, um, which uh, which um, was was a sort of a trial run. We had a much smaller scope, obviously. We had several dozen families from Jacksonville, Savannah, Charleston uh, reach out to us, and, um, and, and we pulled together to do that. And because we came together at that, at that moment and we started laying the groundwork of, of, of the technology that would allow us to process information and match people up, when, when it happened, uh, of course, in For a much, ma- much more <laughs> massive scale in Hurricane Irma, we were, we were more prepared, both in terms of the relationships and identifying competent people here who knew how to... M- manipulating the data was the most uh, difficult thing because we had masses of information coming in in terms of guests sharing information with us, potential guests, as well as hosts. Right. Making those shidduchim, bringing those together, um, sorting all the information, fi- matching somebody with... I mean, we had people, you know, of course, Baruch Hashem, we had the, these births, but we right. had people with terminal illnesses coming. We had people with all kinds of uh, very specific limitations that we had to, to match up. So 
Did it take me by surprise? Uh, yeah, the scope of it definitely took me by surprise. We had, I mean, we had a United Hatzalah contingent from Israel passing through Atlanta during that same time to go to Florida. We had, and in addition to the uh, to the roughly 600 meals, uh, we were serving several times, you know, twice a day, three times a day for for over a week. Uh, and we had our own we had our own power outages when we got the tail end of that same storm, right. which actually skirted the uh, most of the South Florida community. Yeah, many people think it was only Shabbos. You're doing this for days. I mean, people yeah. open their homes for days. Yes, uh, to people from Florida, mm-hmm. an, an amazing effort and really incredible. And God forbid it should happen again. But you did learn a big lesson about your community. Absolutely, that they're we ready did. to do it. They're equipped for it, and they've got the spirit to make it happen. It was very inspiring within the community, and we we had people around the world calling us asking, "How can we help?" One one fellow from Toronto wouldn't take no for an answer. <laughs> and so I said, it's possible if it gets worse, we might need air mattresses. 24 hours later, he got it through customs somehow from Canada. Um, 200 air mattresses show up here. Some of them are still downstairs. <laughs> Unbelievable. How many years have you been in Atlanta? Uh, seven years. And before that? Uh, I grew up in Baltimore, but um, my wife and I lived in Israel for a few years. And, and so. what first attracted you to this town? So the, the truth is, uh, in full disclosure, my wife is from here. Huh. Um, but nice. we were actually on our way somewhere else um, when uh, when we stopped here for coming from Israel. But uh, for uh, because we loved the community and uh, in addition to the family dimension, and it was we thought it would be a great place to raise our family. We we stuck around. You know, some people who've been with us this week, tongue in cheek, have asked us to tone things down. Don't let everybody know about Atlanta. We don't want the secret to get out. Uh, you know, the community to get too big. But but you'd be happy to tell people who are listening right now that they could find an amazing Jewish community down here, right? Absolutely. Yes, the Atlanta Jewish community is, I think it's unique. It's one of a kind. It's a, it's a, it's a great balance of a lot of the different uh, things, pieces that make a community work. And uh, you're always welcome. By the way, it doesn't take a hurricane. We host people literally every single week. We have a hospitality committee um, in, in our shul. And I'm, I'm not exaggerating. Every week we're... A lot we're, of people passing through this town. People pass through. And whenever somebody comes and, they, and we ask, where are you staying? And they stay in a hotel, we get very angry with them. <laughs> Because that's completely inexcusable. And they, what, what about this weekend? You have people who are coming for the big game. We who, do. We absolutely do. And yeah. they're being taken care. They of? They are by, being taken care families. of. I just placed somebody uh, yesterday um, who who's uh, you know a, a student from Pittsburgh, a graduate student who's coming to. The, he's a Rams fan. And um, we set him up for Shabbos. We found the third Rams fan in this yeah. town. Thank God. It seems everybody else is from the New England side. What can I tell you? Yeah. Rabbi Yitz Tedler, thank you for your hospitality. It's for an honor. For us here to Beth Jacob. It's an honor. It's Anytime. appreciated. Great seeing you. Take care. Rabbi Yitz Tedler is executive director here at Beth Jacob and uh, gave us a wonderful perspective of this incredible community. More coming up. You are listening to a Wednesday morning edition of JM in the AM.
in the AM. My thanks to everybody, uh, including, of course, Miriam Alwalik and Yoni Pollock. Uh, Miriam is here at uh, at the uh, Beth Jacob congregation, as Miriam is Yoni. Oh, Yoni. Miriam's here and Yoni's here. Oh. Last couple of minutes here. Uh, Kosher Halftime Show is presented by the Rothenberg Law Firm. It goes live this coming Sunday night. It's very Atlanta-centric. It certainly is. It Sa- stars the city of Atlanta. Sammy Kay is Atlanta's own. Mm-hmm. He'll, he'll be part of it. Daniela Javiel from Israel. I hear he's Not in Atlanta's it. own. Right. I hear he's in it. Right. Uh, if you haven't seen the promo video. I hear you're in it. I'm in it. Yeah. If, if you haven't seen the promo video yet, go to uh, the Nahum Siegel Network page on Facebook, Instagram, my profile, your profile. Yeah. Everyone's got Feel it Feel free there. to laugh out loud when you see it. What do you mean? It's 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 pretty funny. It is. It is. It's legitimately funny. It's legitimately is funny. It, is it funny when the Patriots run out of the tunnel to go into the game? Is that funny? No, there's nothing funny about Brady. Uh, so is it? So why, it's funny when so you're running would, out of the tunnel. So why would this scene of us running onto the field from the tunnel? Why would that be funny? It's uh, it's just it, it's it's funny. Right. It's good stuff. It's good shtick, as the kids say. Nahum. We'll take your word for it. Speaking of what people have to say, listen to this. Oh, we didn't check the app. The clients say that even Rabbi Goldwasser spent a few years in Georgia. That we heard yesterday. Then we have a hello from Chicago where it's bitterly cold here, but JMM is keeping us warm. Thank you. It's minus 49. We are super chill. sorry for you in Chicago. Super sorry. And Ezra says thanks for all you do. Then a message for Yoni. Not only is Boston playing LA in the Super Bowl, they played in the World Series this past year. How do you like that? Listener Seema says amazing shows these past Thank few days. Thank you so much. Thank you, Seema. And listener he, you know where he is. I do. He says schools are closed, zoos are closed, banks are closed, but 
We have NSN to listen Thank to. Thank you very much. Yeah, everybody stay safe. Weather is scary. Stay safe. Yeah, please. Yeah, please do. Especially if you're in those areas that are suffering from below zero temperatures at the moment, which is unbelievable. A great show today. I want to thank all of our guests. Absolutely. Thanks to you for producing a great uh, lineup. Thank you, Naftali Herman, who has been my partner in crime. Thank you, Naftali Herman. Thank you to the Orthodox Union. Thank you to the American Committee of Shari Tzedek Medical Center in Jerusalem. And thank you to Yoni for engineering. Yeah, another, he's been all right, this guy. Another great show. What? It's... Uh, yeah, the, we oh, have this. And a thank you to ZK, a thank you to Avrami, a thank you to Yigal, and a thank you to Ellie Gray of Ellie Gray Photography on Facebook. You can go to Ellie Gray Photography and to check out the person that you want to use for your photographic needs when you come to Atlanta, Georgia. Our brothers and sisters in Israel, we are with you. It's your favorite America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program heard on listener-sponsored digital radio, around the world, the web, and NachumSegal.com, on the NachumSegal Network, and of course on the beloved NSN app. And that wraps up an amazing and incredible Wednesday here in Atlanta, Georgia. Our final day in Atlanta coming up tomorrow between 6 and 9 a.m. Make sure to be tuned in. We will... uh, Live lunch it either with Avrami in Israel or us here in Atlanta starting at 11 a.m. Eastern time right after the encore of Bite Size coming up next here at the Nahum Siegel Network. Have a fabulous Wednesday and get ready for Sunday when the Rothenberg Law Firm presents Kosher Halftime Show 2019. Thanks to everybody at the Beth Jacob congregation here in Atlanta, Georgia. Till tomorrow, Nahum Siegel reminding you, remember the past, live the present, and trust the future. Yeah.